106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Shaking my head. I'm not surprised. I told y'all last month this was going to happen. But didn't nobody want to listen to me. But then guess what? Next month he did. And you know what? All the liberals were calling me a conspiracy theorist. Saying, Terrence, you coming up with crazy conspiracies. And you need to be banned from Twitter. And then guess what? The man really ended up dead. And you know what? He had, he had information on the Clintons. And the man ended up dead. Now for some odd reason. For some odd reason, people that have information on the Clintons end up dead. And they usually die from suicide. Come on now. Come on now. Now, how do everybody die from suicide that got information on you? Okay? You know what? To be honest with you, I don't want to know nothing about the Clintons. Don't tell me nothing. I'm not trying to end up dead. I don't even want to know if Hillary was digging in her nose. I don't want to know if Bill Clinton eat boogers. Don't tell me nothing. I don't want to end up dead. I don't want to hear it. Nope. Ah, ah, la, 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 la. La, la, I can't hear you. I don't want to hear it. I'm not finna end up dead like everybody else. You know what? Now, I'm not going to say who killed that man cause, because, you know, I could end up being, but word, but, but, but the word around the street is the Clintons did it. I'm just, I, I don't know though. Hey, 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 I'm just another black man on Twitter. I don't know nothing. <laughs> I don't know nothing. I, I guess I don't know nothing. But so somebody tell me what's going on because clearly now how you end up dead and you are a high profile case in prison. Come on now. And you on suicide watch and you die of suicide in prison. Yeah. Okay. Somebody not doing their job or somebody got paid not to do their, not to do their job. So somebody can get knocked off. So information don't come out, but I don't know nothing. I'm just another black man on Twitter. Good day to you. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to the No Hostages Radio Podcast. This is our 20th episode, and uh, it should be showing up on August 17th on the various podcast sources and on our website, nohostagesradio.com. So a couple of ways to reach out to me, if you wish. Uh, you can go to uh, get to us or get to me through our email at lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com, lou at nohostagesradio.com, or you could <clears throat> send me a text at 530-713-1838, 530-713-1838. Some of the folks that used to live in California where I'm broadcasting from and where I live, Northern California, 
that now live over in Missouri and Idaho and various other parts of the world uh, reach out to me every once in a while and send me some ideas and uh, and some tidbits about where they're living and how uh, better it is to live there than here in terms of freedom and liberty and less costs and less harassment from the government and on and on and on. They're trying to tempt me to bolt out of the state of California. So uh, if I was just looking at the facts uh, at the state of California and how miserable <clears throat> things are, uh, that's all it would take for me. I know how to size up the facts. But for me, I was telling somebody the other day that <clears throat> it's more a matter of where <clears throat> God wants me to be at this time in my life. <clears throat> and I feel at this time, uh, it seems like he wants me in Northern California, but you never know. So uh, I spent some time, and as most of you know that listen to the show and and uh, go back and forth to Vietnam. Sometimes I'm over in Cambodia. I'm doing some work over there. And uh, it's nice over there. But the, I can benefit them over there by doing doing a lot of the work here and because of the resources in America. So welcome. And this is, uh, if you're new to this, this is about a two-hour and 20-minute uh, show. Uh, I take some breaks, but instead of just pausing, I I have included some educational uh, clips that uh, I think are better than the way I say it. So I just play the clips and let you listen to it. Uh, So here we go. I am going to begin today by talking about something that's happening in my hometown where I live, uh, Marysville, California, which is in Yuba County, one of the 58 counties of California. It's in Northern California. So we call ourselves up here, we, we're wannabe state of Jefferson, but right now we're refugees or we've been held hostage by the state of California because we don't have any representation, we don't have fair representation at the state capitol because they do all the representations based on population and we have a real sparse population in Northern California. We like it that way. We like the rural nature of it and uh, laid-back nature. But we don't have any representation, so it doesn't matter whether all the representatives in Northern California, say the top 24 counties, the northernmost 24 counties, could all be agreeable on any particular item. And just one county in the south, like L.A. County, all their representatives could vote opposite us, and we would... uh, we would get whatever they want. So all we're saying up here, we don't dislike people in Southern California. It isn't about that. It's really about the needs of urban uh, areas are different than the needs of rural areas. Totally different needs. So we're farming uh, and they're, <clears throat> they're ghetto or, or industry, big industry, right? So I wanted to talk this morning about um, <clears throat> Marysville, the city of Marysville. Uh, every, everything in life rises and falls on leadership. So whether it's a family, whether it's a church, whether it's a business, uh, whether it's a government, whether it's an agency in the government, uh, you, it could be a restaurant. Maybe you have a favorite restaurant and you love to go there and there's certain meals, you, you certain entrees on the menu you love. And then all of a sudden you go there and the menu's changed 
management's changed and you think, ah, this isn't what it used to be. And uh, maybe you decide you don't, or you just don't go there as much, right? So things change o- over time. Uh, there's certain uh, Facebook sites that are uh, nostalgia sites for this area that they say, oh, you, do you remember that place? Do you remember this place? Do you remember how great that was? Or I'm sorry that place went out of business or whatever. Life happens, right? So over the years in Marysville, Marysville in the 1940s, was a huge, uh, uh, successful, bustling, uh, loaded with businesses, uh, lots of activity here. And over the years, over the decades, uh, business began to expand and move out of the city of Marysville, moved over into Yuba City across the river. And so Marysville and, and some of Marysville's business policies, government policies, uh, just like California's government policies are running millions of people and thousands of businesses out of the state. Uh, Marysville's policies began to push people out of the city into the county uh, where rules were less egregious and uh, people were kinder. And they also pushed people over into Yuba City for a variety of reasons, more room, uh, better business, and kind of that's where the development was happening in Sutter County or Yuba City across the Feather River. So over the decades, <clears throat> that began to happen, and Marysville began to make some strategic errors in decision-making. It can happen to all of us. You think, oh, you make the best decision you can at the time, you get into a jam. So the city of Marysville, the different city councils, began to make some decisions that uh, almost killed the entire city. <clears throat> and uh, one of those decisions was to buy up some property and go into the real estate business. The city council, <clears throat> the five members, had no idea, had no experience in real estate, but they bought up property. They didn't have any money. The city didn't have any money, but they they went out <clears throat> and they sold bonds, and they bought this property, and as soon as they bought the property, the economy collapsed. That was about 2006 to eight, right in there. And so they bought this property. They, they bonded about $5 million. And uh, overnight, the property was worth less than $2 million. So they had a $2 million, uh, less than $2 million piece of property bonded for $5 million. But as you pay off the bond, you pay the interest, right? So after a couple of years, they, they thought they would be able to flip the property. They couldn't flip the property because of the, the recession during the beginning of the later uh, Bush years, beginning Obama years. They couldn't flip the property, so they ended up having to <clears throat> reissue the bonds. And uh, they they reissued them for more money. And so the payout on those bonds is like, so over 25 years, is like $17 million for a piece of property that's worth less than $2 million. Now, that's what happens when government gets into the the business of real estate or or tries to do business private enterprise style business because they don't know what they're doing and and they none of them are held personally responsible for their stupidity or their ignorance so what happened is <clears throat> we now have a 600 and some thousand dollar debt now that may not or, or a $600,000 plus payment every year. Now, that may not seem big to some of you bigger cities out there, but in little old Marysville, 3.6 square miles, 12,000 people, that was a backbreaker. 
And so it essentially was going to bankrupt the city. So the city went out and 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 tried twice to raise the sales taxes from seven to seven point two five percent to eight point two five percent. They failed the first time. They deceived the people. Well, the second time through funding from a private business here in town and they got their extra one percent to bring in an extra two million dollars or so a year <clears throat> to the coffers. And uh, so they had a choice. Mary's always had its own little tiny police department and one station fire department. They had a choice to subcontract that out to others. They chose not to. They probably cost them an extra million dollars a year in taxpayer uh, expenses. But they chose, they, even though most cities this size do not have their own uh, police and fire departments, uh, Marysville said, no, we want one. And we want one, and you're going to pay for it, you, you being the taxpayer. So they did that. So as they hired a new uh, a city administrator, she doing, doing her job, looking for more and more money, right, looking for revenue streams. Nobody, hardly anybody's moving to Marysville. Uh, there's a limit on housing in Marysville. There's only so many houses, can't be no more. And and the number of businesses here are very uh, slim. There isn't a big flow of businesses in here for a variety of reasons I don't have time to go into today. So one of the ideas for revenue raising was to begin to charge the the citizens of the city of Marysville. They not only pay taxes, and they pay the highest sales taxes in the entire region, higher than Oliver's, higher than Linda. Uh, well, they were were higher uh, up until just recently, but much higher than Sutter County, where all the shopping really is. Uh, it's a percent higher. So, um, so for instance, if you're going to go buy a car anywhere in the world and you register it uh, back here in California, it's going to cost you an extra 1% sales tax. That means on a $30,000 car, that's an extra $300. Not chump change, right? So anyway... Uh, the the new ideas for revenue increase were like, well, we could increase the fees that we charge people like dog licensing, building permit fees, use fees for the city. If you want to use this part of the city for, you know, get a permit to have a, a close off the street and have a, a band or a party or whatever, farmer's market. Or if you want to use the we have a river bottom area that's a park area. You could re- raise fees on all those things, right? The other area that, that some cities in the United States are looking at, have been looking at for 40, 40 years, is charging the citizens, after they've already paid in taxes, to live here. And, and when, when people organize cities and counties initially, primarily what the reason was was to provide protection for them and securing their property. So that would be police and fire. All the other stuff, it's like that's extra stuff. But what they primarily wanted was protection. And so now, the back in the day, for decades, for 100 years or more, um, cities, you paid your taxes and they covered the police and fire, right? There was no, there was no extra charge. Now, because of the incredible... Uh, uh, salaries of police and fire in California and the bankrupt uh, Cal PERS or the uh, pension program in California, uh, 
the cities and counties, they won't say it this way, but they just need more and more money uh, and not to fix the roads, not to have nicer parks, not to clean up the weeds, not to clean up the garbage, but to just dump into CalPERS and in salaries. So recently, uh, without any real notice, at least I didn't get any notice, I didn't know, uh, I was called by uh, a homeowner and also a property manager, a property owner where he rents out properties. Um, he called me and said, uh, Hey, I don't know you, but I, I got, uh, I had a fire over here in my garage and, uh, the, the fire department came over and helped us out, did a good job, put the fire out. We were very happy. What wasn't a big loss, turned it into my insurance company, all state. And then they got a bill from a third party billing company called fire recovery USA. And they added a bill on top of the the cost to repair the garage of almost just chump change under $5,000. And the guy said, I've never heard of such thing. Have you? And do you know what I could do about it? Where would I go to like resolve this? So we talked about it and, and he uh, ended up talking to a city councilman who ended up talking to the fire chief and they decided to reduce it from $4,988 and 25 cents to 500. How they do that? Don't know. Haven't had an explanation. Haven't looked, haven't really had time to look for it. But the interesting thing is that, uh, is you can look this up online that, uh, fire departments and police departments are looking at charging for all kinds of things. The cost to respond to hazardous waste spill, a cost to respond to a car accident, a cost to respond to a fire in your house, a grass fire, uh, and, or even, you know, maybe a cost to respond to a drowning or the cost to respond to, uh, you recall the, you get sick at home or you break your ankle, you, you trip at home and you call 911 because no one's there to help you. And uh, so some places are called charging for a medical emergency. Like they might charge, like, you know, the ambulance. Like here, we have a private ambulance company called Bi-County Ambulance that serves Eubin Sutter counties. And so they, you would get, a, if you called and you had to be transported by them and cared for by them, they would charge you. When you got to the hospital, they would charge you. And But generally, the fire department, police department, if you needed those folks, you the the assumption was that you already paid for that and and there used to be a thing called the free public services doctrine in other words the idea is you already paid once and if they're going to charge you a second time that's like second taxation for the same service <clears throat> so so anyway uh without any notice uh at least I didn't get any and this gentleman that had a charge of $5000 didn't get any uh, we're now getting charged in the city of Marysville. We're not quite sure how much for what. And so um, it, it, all emergency responses handle a little bit differently. Like some places, the fire department does uh, does paramedic work as well as emergency medical technician work. Sometimes the fire department actually transports people. Sometimes the hospital transports people. They have their own ambulance service. So it's it's a little bit different in each community. Don't know how it is where you are, but where we are, we have, if you call 911 and you have a medical emergency at your house, you'll get the fire department, plus you'll get Bi-County Ambulance. They'll show up simultaneously or maybe one shortly after another. So uh, the, so what I was talking to one of the city council members who used to be actually a firefighter for many years and actually taught uh, in the uh, firefighting academy, I believe, and he was, and I was saying, you know, 
if I was at this point, if they're going to charge me $300 to come in a, as a medical aid to my house, I'm having chest pains or whatever. I'm probably not going to call the fire department. I'm not going to call 911. I'm just going to call by County directly because why would I want two entities when I got to pay, I got to pay extra now? Like I'm already paying my taxes to the city of Marysville. Why would I want to pay a user fee for the fire department when by County ambulance actually has higher, higher, highly, more highly trained medical people. So it's an interesting situation. Again, it's an, it's a, it's a way for cities and counties Uh, maybe even the state to pick up a new revenue stream. But, uh, you know, it comes down to you wonder what what are you know, one of the arguments is to charge this is that if you have a lot of if you have visitors in your area and they have a car accident or a heart attack or whatever they have when they're responding to them, they haven't paid anything for the services that are being rendered free. So they should pay something. Okay, I, I understand that. I get it. So uh, there's so there should be a charge back. But and then the other argument is for the people that do pay taxes is, well, really, you're like the firefighter, ex-firefighter city councilman that talked to me the other day. The taxes really aren't covering the cost of the services provided. And so I, the question I would have back to them is why? And the and I already have the answer. The why is that at one time. Firefighters mainly just did that. They fought fire and they didn't do all the medical emergencies. There were medical people on ambulances that did that. But the fight when the firefighters unionized and became stronger and stronger union, the union said, Hey, we need to we need to have our mission grow. We need to grow our mission and do more things for the community so we can charge more for our services and make more money. So they went from people that made a certain amount of money but actually usually took a second job to support them being a firefighter to now they're making 100 125 150 175 $300,000, $350,000 per year when you add up everything benefits overtime all the stuff so so what we used to get for $65,000 $50,000 we're now paying 2 3 4 5 times that Right. So and we're paying all these incredible pensions in the state of California. So what we used to be able to afford by just paying our normal taxes. Now they're saying, oh, yeah, you got to pay your taxes. And you think, hey, how come we pay our taxes and the roads, the roads are full of holes or cracks or we can't get the sewer to work right anymore or there's grass. We can't mow the parks anymore or the parks can't get watered anymore. The reason is all going to salaries and pensions. And when you have city administrators that are making $150,000, $200,000, you couldn't get that, that kind of job with those same qualifications in the private sector. You just can't do it. But, they, but everybody's cut themselves a fat hog, as they say, in city government because they don't ask the taxpayers to vote on the salaries. They just simply vote on them themselves, right? So um, we're going to take uh, – I'm going to show you or play you a uh, – a clip about the the idea of like forcing everybody to have a minimum wage and the impact that that's having on cities around the country and then also there's a really cool story about a southwest pilot that ended up flying his dad's uh remains uh back to texas uh when they after they were found in uh 
the jungles of Laos. Uh, so we'll be right back, and then we'll carry on for another segment. Well, it's not always raining. There'll be days like this. When there's no one complaining, there'll be days like this. When everything falls into place, like the flick of a switch. Staying on the minimum wage, the Wall Street Journal says that New York City businesses are struggling. They've had $15 an hour minimum wage imposed on them for six months. Increased costs, forcing employers to eliminate shifts, raise prices, cut staff. Betsy McCoy is with us. She has some experience of this. She's the mm. former New York lieutenant governor. You warned about this. Oh, yes. It's, and it's what the you law of unintended consequences. Yes. And what you see happening in New York City, you will see happening in the seven states that are, have already enacted gradual increases in the minimum wage to $15, such as Connecticut, Illinois, uh, California, Maryland, blue states. Yeah. Uh, but here's the issue. More people will lose their jobs. The Congressional Budget Office has already reported that if this went nationwide, which House Democrats are pushing yep. for, the fight for 15, 3.7 million people would lose their jobs. Some people will gain because they'll have more income, mm -hmm. but many more people will lose. And the Democrats are arguing, well, nobody can raise a family on the minimum wage. That may be true, but very few people, Stuart, getting the minimum wage are raising a family. If you look at the Bureau of Labor yes, Statistics, of half of them are under 25. Yeah. Six times as many are having a part-time job as a full-time job. These are entry-level people who are acquiring the basic job skills so that they can, will be ultimately worth $15 an hour or more. You do this, you go to $15 an hour, and you basically, you eliminate entry-level positions. Oh, yes, and you, you can see you, fast you food is already doing that. Restaurants are doing that with automated hostesses. Please take your own seat, that sort right. of thing. You can only charge so much for a bowl of pasta or a burger. <laughs> I think you're right there. <laughs> Folks, my name's Mike. I'm the... Uh, um, fellow pilot with Bryant, the captain who just flew you in today. Uh, you all have been part of a honor flight of a fallen American airman from the Vietnam era. Captain Roy Knight left Love Field in 1967, January 1967. He was shot down over Laos May 19, 1967. That day that he left America, his mom his wife and his son came here to Love Field and sent him off on his way. A few months later, they got the word that he was shot down. It's been 52 years since that family had lost their father. A few months ago, Captain Knight was notified by the military that his father's remains had been positively identified. And through the efforts of many, many people, we have him with us today in a casket in the belly of the airplane. The pilot that flew you in today was that same five-year-old boy who left here at Love Field 52 years ago with his dad to say goodbye. He was honored by all the people Southwest to be able to bring his father home and captain the airplane uh, here today. So that little boy was your captain today. I love this guy. <laughs>
contraception. That's right, that's my mission. Yeah, I'm stopping more wangs than Harvard admissions. They say they fund Planned Parenthood, but that's not enough. Not only would I fund it, son, I'd start a loyalty club. You think they would spend more than me? You change your mind in a hurry. I'm dropping more Jacksons than Conrad Murray. I'm dominating this debate. Spartacus is impaired. How do I know all the answers? Let's just say I prepared. They say they got plans. They do a lot for the nation. But unlike some people on the stage, I got reservations. Para el climate change, yo, uh, despacito. Cinco de Mayo, burrito. There's people locked up in cages. We gotta act fast. Not at the border, mind you, Amy Klobuchar's staff. I comb through the laws. See which ones are valid. Beat me to the next debate. Here, use this for your salad. I don't know half of these people. Y'all ain't got no chances. Got more write-offs on this stage than Bernie Sanders' taxes. Joe straight up killed bussin'. You know it was gory. Axed it like NBC News on a Weinstein story. It's the economy, stupid. It's like no one is hearing me. I'd be the best thing for business since Russia conspiracy. Reminds me of an accident I encountered today. Not that kind of accident. Beto, why you running? away. I got a plan to beat ISIS. Install a puppet leader who'd lead them into insolvency. Hmm, who could we choose? And North Korea is evil. I just honestly learned it by checking that foolproof resource, Bernie's Travelocity searches. Guns are bad. Of that I'm cognizant. I get rid of arms so fast you think you're at the Saudi consulate. <clears throat> Sorry. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. I really uh, was moved by the pilot. And uh, I've been in Laos, and I know many Hmong, uh, Hmong people that their home was in Laos, and they fled uh, communists. Many of them, almost all of them, have uh, relatives, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers that have been killed by the communists as they fled Laos. For those of you that have a tinge, tinge towards socialism, uh, you, you need to kind of uh, go talk to the Laotian people or the Hmong people. But uh, anyway, this, uh, as you heard, the gentleman's father was uh, shot down over Laos. And uh, so it's, it's pretty, pretty moving. There's some great moving clips on uh, YouTube about the Hmong people and the suffering of the Hmong people that you might want to check into. Learn, learn a little history for yourself. And when you see these little short Asian people around here, you think, oh, they're backward people they don't know anything and actually some of them actually worked with cia agents have you ever met a cia agent out there some of you can't even spell central intelligence agency but a lot of them worked actually with the cia and like they run around in a little minivan beat up minivan with their big family and you think oh they're like stupid people so uh Anyway, hope you enjoyed that. I was talking about the the movement to charge for when you call emergency personnel. Uh, my experience with elderly people that are living on a fixed income, particularly like uh, Social Security, is that uh, they will tend not to use services that are going to cost them. Uh, they'll they'll skip medicine, right? They'll run out of medicine. And they'll say, I can't afford that. So they, medicine's very expensive, right? <clears throat> and uh, even if you're on uh, Medicare, uh, if you don't have the extra coverage, because it costs more to have the extra coverage for Medicare. So they'll skip medicine. They'll skip doctor's appointments. They'll, they'll skip a lot of things. And uh, they'll quit heating the whole house. A lady that used to live in my house caught herself on fire by shutting the heat off but then had a little heater that she'd keep at her feet 
electric heater with and wrap her legs in blankets and she cut her blanket on fire and uh, burned herself some and then she never recovered from it people kind of shut themselves into a portion of the house trying to uh, make it through the hot times or cool times and so uh, I can see people not wanting to use the emergency system because it's going to cost more money right or finding their way trying to get a, a uber or a taxi or something to get their way to the hospital just take themselves to the hospital instead of using uh, a public service that we've created to serve everybody and help everybody with police and fire emergencies some of the arguments for these extra taxes at the county level and the city level whether it's measure k here in the county level that we're fighting um, in court or measure c in the city level was uh, uh, you know, if you don't pass this tax, then we're probably not going to be able to uh, respond to your heart attack. Or it may take an hour to get there. So whether you say we're not going to respond or it's going to take a really long time, if you're having a real life crisis, that's probably the same thing, right? Because what they have in medical emergencies is what they call the golden hour. <clears throat> and uh, it it's the help that's done in that first 60 minutes that's life-saving and the rest of it uh, isn't so hot so anyway that's what's going on in the city of marysville we'll see what the city council uh decides to do whether my suggestion i wrote an article in the territorial dispatch if you want to look at it online uh you'll be able to see it uh on you can see it online now at territorialdispatch.biz or it will be up on our website at nohostagesradio.com as well. It's called Marysville Emergencies Cost Users. The other companion article is an article I call Backward America. And if you've, like right now, Hong Kong is in the news every day because they're having a total meltdown between Hong Kong, which was is part of communist China now, but is kind of got a separate, more freer system uh, but they're having uh, riots there. But Hong Kong, Shenzhen, Shanghai, Seoul, Singapore, all these cities that were backward fishing villages at one time uh, now are some of the most dynamic. They are the dynamic uh, powerhouse cities, beautiful, high-tech, new concrete, new freeways, new lights. Everything's trendy, amazing. And and it's America that's looking third world, and you and the roads over there are beautiful, flat, smooth. Um, the you know murals, uh, con concrete designs, really cool stuff. Uh, very with it, ultra modern, glass skyscrapers. So you look at what happened. What happened to America? So I wrote an article called "Backward America." It's also on the territorialdispatch.biz. And if you if you look at all the lists of taxes that you pay every year, you're paying on over a hundred different taxes now. Tax, 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 tax. American founders, uh, our founding fathers, honestly would not even uh, they would be shocked to pieces to see what the socialists. It's it's little you know it's amazing. I have friends that call themselves Republicans, but they act like socialists, and it's just tax, 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 tax. And, of course, they all think now instead of serving as as a contribution to the community, they all think they're worth eighty or $100,000 because of their 
super brain power, even though the founding fathers were much smarter people and did it for free. So anyway, what you're seeing is around the world and what we used to call third world countries, you're seeing uh, people that are uh, that are far ahead of the United States. America just fell to sleep and now we're in a stupor. So whether it's a if you fly an airline into into the Asian area, I can't speak for Europe and things, but the the best airlines in the world, in my view, are Singapore, Asiana, Korean, EVA, ANA, Cathay, Pacific. Uh, they're, they're, there's just not even any comparison to American carriers. But what I wrote in this article is it, a comparison of what it costs to do something in the United States and what it costs to do something in other countries and how much time it takes. Like there was a great article that I, I can't quote from because I don't have it before me, but there's a shortage of water in California. So the idea was, hey, we got the Pacific Ocean uh, uh, you know, on the left side of us. So why don't we pull some water out of the Pacific Ocean, take the salt out of it, use that. It's called desalinization. You think, oh, is that a novel idea? Far from it. The Israeli people have been doing desalinization plants for decades. And so when, when um, they proposed it in San Diego, environmentalists stopped it for 12 years. And I... I'm going to guess, I've read this before a couple different times, but the cost of that desalinization plant, which is very similar to an Israeli plant, costs like two times or three times as much to build it in America rather than build it in Israel. Now, Israeli people do not cheat people and and pay people $5 an hour. But what we're talking about here is the egregious levels of bureaucracy and regulation and the ripoff what we call um, Davis-Bacon uh, Davis Bacon Act, which was in the 1930s, which mandated that all public prop projects would have to be, uh, the unions would set the wage, which is totally non-competitive. And so it jacks up the cost of all the labor on public projects like any kind of uh, government, state, city, federal uh, about 20 to 35 percent on labor. So the very same project that could be done in other countries is uh, would be done for like 30 percent cheaper. The other thing is that the environmentalists have, have basically said, listen, we don't want anybody to build anything. We want to turn the entire United States back into a remote jungle right? It, they call it rewilding. That's the term they use. And that they see human beings as a, 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 a bane and a, uh, a destroyer of the climate, a destroyer of the earth. Whereas the Bible says, if you, if you buy in what the Bible says, the Bible says that God created mankind as the crown jewel of his creation. And he said, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over the earth. But the environmentalists that are anti-God say, hey, we like fish, bugs, you know, plants, trees, and parrots. And with those things, we're supposed to be here. And man is a big pain in the ass, right? And polluting everything. So, um, so what we want to do is eliminate man. Like, let's have abortion. Let's like abort as many as we can, and let's force man to get into high rises like they do in the Soviet Union, force people to live in these 
block houses, right, in, in urban areas <clears throat> and get them off the land. And we want to let the land, we don't even want people to go on the land. That's what the, that's what the environmentalists want to do. So anytime there's any expansion or another road or improving a road or putting up a dam, you know, they'll they'll like all these bonds in California, these water bonds we passed, only... Even though they say, oh, we're going to do more water resources, we're going to build a dam, we're going to build this, we're going to build that, we're going to get more reservoirs. They only spend about 12% of that money and all the re- on, on new resources, and all the rest of it goes on bike trails and stupid stuff. It just, it's just a constant ripoff. So they did a, this guy from Israel, <clears throat> again, a mathematician, his his name's Alon A L O N Levy L E V Y. He did he did a comparison. What's it cost in uh, Canada? What's it cost in Japan? What's it cost in New York? Et cetera, et cetera. Comparing it around the world to put up, uh, say, some subways. What's it cost per mile? So he he showed that in continental Europe, like that's the main part of Europe, not Eastern Europe. Or Japan, it costs about two hundred to four hundred and fifty million dollars per mile. You know when they go underground, <clears throat> and in America, like two or three, four times that. In Canada, in Vancouver, Canada, it was one hundred and thirty million a mile in uh, in the Vancouver Canada line. In and uh, up to London, they they extended what they call the tube at six hundred and forty million. We're talking millions here, right? Millions, hundreds of millions. But in the New York's East Side Access Project, it costs $3.5 billion per mile, or seven times the actual cost of the cities uh, around the world that, that do the same type of thing. Um, and it takes for years to do it. It started in 2007. It may not be finished till 2022. The second av- avenue subway in New York City costs two point four billion. That's compared to two hundred million, folks. So it takes years and years and years. So the first time I went to Hong Kong, and I've been there many, many times. That's why the riots in Hong Kong and the destroying and the, the military from the communist China coming is just freaking me out. I I would like to live in Hong Kong. I used to spend a lot of time in Hong Kong. And we used to work in and out of uh, smuggling contraband into the underground church in uh, communist China. So Hong Kong is such a beautiful city, wonderful people. Lo- they love freedom. They love America. That's why they're, they're waving. Socialists over here are burning American flags. People over there living under communism are waving American flags. Check that out. Uh, wanting freedom. I think we need to do like, you know how they do in baseball? They got dissatisfied players, so they trade them with another team, give them a fresh start. I think we need to trade a lot of the anybody that wants to go to Hong Kong or to Communist China, just trade them with a lot of the flag waivers over there, like Colin Kaepernick could go over there, right? Some of these these uh, Muslim socialists in the, in the Congress could go over there. We'd take some of their people. So So what's happening is... Uh, like in this article I wrote, it, a, a very same task in Madrid, Spain, takes eight workers, takes 24 workers in New York. Now, that's just simply government being controlled by unions. Go- unions pay off politicians. Politicians give the unions what they want. So when I went to Hong Kong, you know, you kind of if you just live in the United States, you think, oh, 
probably the rest of the world's kind of like us, the modern modern cities of the world. When you go to Asia, I can't speak for going to Europe. I've just passed through there a couple times, not hung out. But when you go to Asia, you realize you've been living in a third world country in America. Because we just done swung and missed for the last 50 years. We swung and missed big time. And you start looking around Hong Kong and uh, Seoul, Korea and Shenzhen and Shanghai and Beijing. And you just think, my goodness, we have lost our minds in America. We have totally lost our mind. I mean, we are living in, I look around my neighborhood where I live in Marysville and it's just trashed. It's just trashed. I mean, we got rat problems. You think, oh, that's all third world stuff. Forget about it. You, you, everybody ought to buy a ticket to Hong Kong and go see, go or, or some of these other cities, Taipei, Taiwan, and go see what a real city looks like. Because you are living. It's like a person that's living uh, in a welfare family, and there's drama every day. Nobody gets anything accomplished. They sit around and just stare at the TV and argue, and eat bonbons, eat stupid food, and poison themselves, smoke cigarettes, get drunk, smoke weed, do stupid stuff. And they think that everybody in America does that, right? And then you get out, and you think, oh, my goodness. Uh, our family was really screwed up. That's, what, that's a feeling you have when you go to these Asian countries. Anyway, um, the American... Uh, Cities and counties can't come up with enough, particularly California. California is a poster child for mismanagement, and they cannot come up with enough money fast enough to cover the costs. And that's just what's going on, and that's what's going on in the city of Marysville. The city of Yuba City sitting back. They got more money than Marysville. They're sitting back and watching the outcome of Measure K. Measure K is going before the Judge Stephen Barrier, Superior Court Judge in Marysville, on August 27th, I think it's about 1.30 in the afternoon, and he's going to decide whether Measure K was a legal uh, tax or whether it was mismanaged and it should have been a two-thirds vote of the public versus a simple majority of 50% plus one. They passed it at about 53% or so, but that doesn't get it. it. If it's a general fund tax, it's a 50% plus one passage. If it's a special fund tax, like want to use it for just public safety, that's two thirds. So we'll see what Barrier says. Uh, Barrier will probably rule in favor of the government because he's a government employee and he's biased, in my view, by listening to his comments on the first trial. Uh, so then we'll have to, uh, the Measure K uh, opponents, those against it, will will uh, appeal to an out-of-town court that hopefully will be more attentive to the law, Proposition 218 and Proposition 13, which said if you want to have a tax, if you want to raise taxes, you have to get two-thirds vote of the public. So anyway, that's what's going on uh, regarding that. And uh, But the city of Marysville uh, is becoming more and more expensive to live in. For instance, Cal, I just spent... I, have, I live in a postage-size yard, postage stamp-size yard in the city of Marysville. I think my water bill was like $170 last month. Now, I was in Vietnam, so I had somebody come and water the yard. Maybe they watered a little bit more than I would have. But the bottom line is I didn't want to have a brown yard. Now, when I look out my window 
either way up and down the street. Nobody's watering here because they can't afford to water because we have a private a business called Cal Water. It's not a municipality water district. And so they get the water for free. They pump it right out of the ground. We have a great aquifer under the city of Marysville. We're right between two rivers. They pump it for free. They make sure it passes uh, regulations of the state of California and deliver it by pipe to our houses. And for that, we pay three to four times what Linda, Oliverst, or Yuba City, those are surrounding jurisdictions to us. And so when you look at Marysville, we have the highest water rates. We have the highest tax rates. Um, and we have the less for it. Our parks are crappy. Roads are crappy. Uh, weeds grow up through everything. Garbage piled everywhere. Homeless people sleep in all of the streets. It's like, why would anybody want to stay here unless you're stuck here with a mortgage, right? And you can't get rid of your house unless you're going to take a loss, right? So that's what's going on here. And uh, it may be going on in your city, but you may be able to stop it, right? One of the things that needs to have a correction is the, the amount we're paying for public safety. I'm a big supporter of public safety, and I've donated about 30 years of my life to serve public safety, either as a chaplain or running trauma intervention program or variety of things. So I'm very into public safety. I think they should be paid well. But being paid $300,000, $200,000, $150,000 a year uh, is just when you say too much, it gets into a value discussion of what people are worth. Let me just say it this way. It's more than we can afford. It's more than what the taxpayers can afford. So uh, some people, I think, are just going to say, I'm going to just going to handle this myself, right? And uh, like in Detroit, many people are hiring their own police forces uh, or a security force to take care of their business. And I'm going to talk about one of those when I come back because it's one of our folks that support us. So I'm going to play a clip right now from Dinesh D'Souza about how crummy our education is now and that students are better off in the slums of Mumbai, which used to be called Bombay, uh, than they are in American cities. We'll be right back. Just yesterday, New York City officials approved a new, get this, culturally responsive education policy that requires schools to stop the practices that lead to predictable outcomes of success or failure for historically marginalized students. Despite the fact that most NYC students aren't proficient in reading or math. Now, here to make sense of all this is Dinesh D'Souza, a conservative author, filmmaker. Dinesh, when you dig down about what culturally responsive education means, you find out that it's the same liberal, educrat, gobbledygook that's been confusing students and keeping them stuck for decades now. Yeah, it's not really education at all. It's the politics of victimology. The idea here is to reconcile minority students to their poor performance 
And instead of trying to improve the performance to locate a person to blame for it, uh, namely the system or the white man. So this is actually a recipe for, it's not a recipe for creating educated students. It's not a recipe for preparing you to balance a checkbook or get a job or start a business. It might be a recipe if you want to go to work for Antifa or Black Lives Matter, but it limits your occupational choices uh, really to those two categories. Right. <laughs> well, here's the proficiency chart for New York City, Dinesh. Now, check it out. Math. Well, you see grade four, 26 percent are at or above proficient. Grade eight goes up to a whopping 27 percent. Reading, 26. Grade eight, 27. Science. Wow. Grade four, only 18 percent of proficient or above. Grade eight, 13 percent. Yet, I just want to keep going back to culturally responsive because this reminds me of, you know, Back in our uh, alma mater in the 80s, it started, you started, this start, concept started trickling in back then. This is what it says. It said that the one-page definition of culturally responsive says students' varied perspectives, whether tied to nationality, religion, race, or other backgrounds, should be seen as essential assets. It also requires schools to, quote, foster critical consciousness, Dinesh, about historical and contemporary forms of bias and suppression. That's the definition of culturally responsible, which means the Chinese students, the, the their New parents York's... protested at a meeting because they're like, wait, we don't get translators. Why are the Spanish kids getting translators? We're not getting translators. So everybody's at each other's throat now. Yeah, this is, um, you know, the New York public schools are among the most diverse in the world. You don't have to teach the kids about diversity. They are diverse. This would be like having a program to teach me about being Indian. You don't need to do that. Uh, the broader meaning of this, I think, is quite startling. Uh, you know, Trump attacked these uh, Democratic Party-run cities as being crime-infested, drug-infested, rat-infested. But I think he, in a way, understated the case. Uh, if I were a poor kid in a slum, I would rather choose to be in a slum in Mumbai or in one of the favelas in Brazil uh, than in Baltimore or New York City. Now, why is that? Because uh, even in Mumbai, I get a good education. Uh, I have a strong, intact family. If you transplant me out of poverty and put me into a place where I have opportunity, I can thrive. The problem for the poor kids in Baltimore and New York is they're not even being prepared with the basic skills for life. So even if opportunity comes their way, they don't know what to do with it. They don't have the uh, ability to perform at the jobs that they're not being educated right. for. So this is a real disaster in the making. Oh, so we're teaching them to be professional agitators or community activists or protesters or members of uh, whatever you know, group happens to be vogue in, at the moment. But we're not really giving them the, the skills in science or math or, or writing that would actually make them more productive and probably can make more money in society. Dinesh, by the way, the president got a lot of heat because there was a tweet he sent out about Elijah Cummings, the robbery of his home. Uh, really bad news, he said, in Baltimore House of Cummings was robbed too bad. Today he said that, well, uh, that wasn't a wisecrack. He said I was, you know, I just basically reported what was in the news. So the media hopped on that and pestered him about that at his uh, helicopter spray today. And he said, I was just basically repeating what everyone else had said. But they're not letting this Cummings, Elijah Cummings things go. 
Well, I think, uh, you know, Trump's thing was taken as being a kind of snarky uh, chuckle at, at Cummings' fate. But there's a broader point here, and that is that usually these politicians can pursue these policies that make life miserable for other people, make these neighborhoods extremely dangerous, but they themselves live in gated communities where they're immune from the consequences of their own policies. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, I'm sure, doesn't have to live with homeless people at her door in San Francisco, for example. And generally, neither would Elijah Cummings. So I think this is actually kind of an interesting case where the crime in Baltimore actually found its way to Elijah Cummings' own door. It was over When I saw you in her talking mm. Yes, yeah, something deep down in my soul said cry, girl All right well, I, I hope you enjoyed that clip. And uh, if you've ever studied much about the minimum wage, it, is, it sounds really good to get votes using that pitch. We're going we're gonna to raise your minimum wage. Sounds like government can just come in and make a decision on how people run businesses and everything's going to be fine for the business. And they're going to force pe businesses to pay people more money. It's, it's totally evil. It's evil that the government would come in and try to run your business. It's just totally wrong. It's socialism. It's government running your business. The only difference between that and communism is the government actually owns the business. But in this case, the government allowing, allowing you to have your name on the business and have your fingers in the business and make some profit on the business as long as you do all the things the government wants you to do. It's totally evil. The government should be totally out of business, and if a person wants to pay an employee 50 cents an hour and the employee's fine with that, it should be good to go. But the government thinks that employees are so stupid and so weak and so lame that they can't advocate for themselves. I'm telling you, Employees can just get up and move if they think they can make $5 an hour more down the street where their skills are more valued, they will move. And it happens all the time. But government sticks its nose into things and it just screws them up. So businesses, you know, uh, because government's heavy handed and they can take over your business if you don't pay what they tell you by law, you have to pay. Businesses just quietly go out of business and sell their equipment and their furniture and move on in life. And one thousands and thousands of businesses quit every year. And so it's really having a negative impact on restaurants. So, <coughs> um, so that's, that's that, uh, you heard about this, you know, I played you this clip about students and, uh, the education system, our education system Again, it's government controlled. There's no competition. I'm telling you, if schools were competing, like we have, we have a number of schools in, in, like you do in your community. If every school was competing for students, by if when parents learn that there's a great school and they're getting really high scores and kids thrive, everybody wants their kids to do well, right? Everybody wants their kids to thrive. My friends around the corner, they have all these little kids and they're all going to school and they showed up at my house last night and they were so excited for the first day of school. 
because and and they were they met their teachers for the first time and they they the whole vision of the school year was cast for them and they were so stoked of going to school but that school where they go is one of the best schools in yuba county and actually in northern california we'll see how it stays but it at least up till this year the best school in northern california so what happens people move around and they'll switch locations to get their kids into better schools they will because they want to they want their kids to thrive they want their kids to be healthy and they want their kids to thrive but the government schools controlled by the unions want to force kids to go to schools that are no good they're just lousy schools and so you how do how can you tell the same way you can tell if you bought a lemon a lemon car it doesn't run well it doesn't work well you paid a lot of money for it and it doesn't perform well so if a kid cannot read if a kid cannot do math if a kid cannot do science if a kid knows nothing about civics the kid knows nothing about the constitution it's a bad school and they're not even teaching in california they're teaching more about transsexuality than they are about civics in fact, I was just watching uh, a, a guy on YouTube last night, used to be involved in universities, got a doctorate, and he was telling all the liberal colleges, <clears throat> I'm talking about left-wing colleges, not liberal arts, liberal colleges that are going broke, they're closing, and they're the ones like Hampshire College, where after Donald Trump was elected, <clears throat> the students rioted or protested and said, we want to remove the American flag off our campus because in protest of Donald Trump being elected. And the administration went for it. Tell, and tell, instead of telling them, go screw themselves, you're crazy. Go find some other campus. They bent down to them, and now that campus is actually, they almost shut down the entire like they didn't have the money to do a freshman class this year. Then they recanted and now they got about 15 freshman students instead of a couple hundred. It's going broke. There's another school, green, green, something mountain. They just went broke. Other schools, uh, they're liberal left wing colleges. The ones are their big protests. I think evergreen is another one that they're going broke. And thank God for it. That's competition. These are privately run colleges. Why aren't the state colleges, government colleges going broke? Because they just keep taking more of your tax money, right? If all schools were competitive, the schools that are doing the best jobs would get more students, more money, just like businesses. The businesses that are, the restaurants that are cooking the best, delivering the best food, have the best service, they're jammed. The other ones, funky food, lousy service. They don't have the business. They don't stay in business. It, it's called uh, creative destruction in the capitalism world. But socialists don't want anything to do with capitalism, so they want crummy food for high prices. They want crummy education, costs us a fortune. They want crummy construction that costs us 10 times as much and 10, 10 times as long to do. Uh, so, all right. I want to just remind you that uh, I love this, and I mentioned it last week. The new Democrat logo is a rat with stars and stripes on it. I thought that's perfect because all their Democrat-run cities 
are, are going to be infested with rats and typhus and cholera, the black plague, the whole thing. And the cool thing is that probably a lot of Democrats are going to drop dead from it. You know, it's kind of like the liberal schools. They say we all think that you conservatives are idiots and 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 liberal and socialism are, you know, it's like socialism thrives on the university campus, but it can't thrive in real life. Right. It can't thrive in real life. It's kind of like your kid. He's 36 years old. He's never worked a day in his life because you're an enabling parent. He thrives under your you. He, you cook for him every day. You watch his shorts out every day and you tuck him into bed at night. But he can't thrive on when he leaves your house. It's like the lady that called me one day. She's a set. She said, my son, she starts describing her son. I thought her son was like 14. It turns out her son's like 55 and he's an alcoholic and he's he's out on the streets doing crazy stuff. He's still living at home. The guy has a he got a graduate degree in bioscience or something, but he's got an alcohol problem. And she wants me to try to help her. I says, kick him out. Well, what if he, what if, what if, what if, what if he drops dead? What if he gets run over? What if he walks into somebody else's house, which he eventually did? What if, what if, what if? I said, so what? Everyone's going to die someday. What, are you going to keep him alive after you're dead? How are you going to do that? Like, you're preparing him to be really stupid and screwed up. You've already worked on this your whole life, enabling him to be stupid. You prepared him to live a life where you still make his pancakes every day. Right. Instead of him going out and figuring out what he's going to do for breakfast every morning, that would be his job at 55 years of age. So the only place socialism is thriving is on the university campus where we're funding it with our tax dollars. But when we try it in real life in a city, it, it's going to breed death, disease and destruction. And we have people like here, like being thrilled about we're building tiny houses. Oh, hallelujah. Tiny houses, tiny houses, tiny houses. Listen, if houses were the solution to our problem, what we have, what we, the solution to our problem was, is getting rid. We need to purge out stupid. We need to have a purge. You know how the communists used to do a purge? And they used to purge all the people that were religious or that wore glasses, that were intelligent or that didn't think the way the communists did, right? They'd purge them. What we need to purge in the United States is a spirit of stupid. Because that's what's causing people to sleep all up and down my block, right, out in the open, because then they get a check every month. All of a sudden, the card in their pocket starts to vibrate because they just put more money on it from headquarters to keep them alive so they could go buy some more heroin or shoot some more crank right suck some more crank up their nose right and then howl all night out behind my house at popeye's behind popeye's uh, abandoned restaurant behind my house howl all night bark all night with their dogs chase each other around naked yeah that goes on behind my house that's created by a liberal oh they think they're conservative up in northern california but they act they're socialists so the new demo logo is no longer a donkey for me. It's a rat. Now, here's one of the things you can do. You think, oh, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Here's one thing you can do. If you don't know Jack Diddley about the Constitution, you need to learn about it. Because the Constitution, the socialists in California are going to eliminate the Constitution totally. And they'll just, you know, they're using the courts to just sue, 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 sue. Oh, you know, they tell the 
president of the United States who has constitutional authority to do this, that, and the other thing, they just say, oh, we're going to sue you over that. We're going to sue you. And they find an idiot judge who's an activist judge who pays no attention to the constitutional law to, to put some injunction against the president, right? So if you go, there's three places that are amazing. One is Chris Ann Hall, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E, Hall, all one word, dot com. She can teach you about the Constitution. I, I don't have time to tell you about her. Hillsdale.edu, Hillsdale, that's Hillsdale College up in, in uh, Michigan. They have online courses for all kinds of things, including the Constitution. Hillsdale, E-D-U. And Institute on the Constitution, that's Jake McCauley and his son, I think. Institute on the Constitution.com. Check those out and uh, get some get you some help. If if you know the Constitution, you're going to be able to stand up in a city council meeting and tell them they're full of crap because they're not following the Constitution or the state of California. At least you'll know how to vote on propositions and stuff and get sorted out. Now, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to uh, my friend Monty Hecker, who has a great operation. And, and Monty, I was talking to him this last week. He runs Elite Universal Security out here in Yuba County. And uh, his number is 530-749-0280. That's 530-749-0280. I said, Monty, are you busy? He said, Lou, we can't hardly keep up, man. We, we, need, we need employees. We, we are just getting call, 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 call. Because people are needing help securing their property and protecting their businesses through harassment because politicians, it's not the police. It's not that the police are lazy or they're stupid. They're, they're, they're just the opposite. They're sharp and they're hardworking people. The problem is politicians that tell them, oh, no, no, no. Uh, you know, I know that we got a code, no camping ordinance, but we, we can't arrest those people anymore. It's just like, yeah, they can take, they can pee over there. They can take a dump over there. They can leave trash all over the place. They can scream and howl all night, but just, just leave them alone, right? Because some federal judge who's an idiot up in Boise, Idaho, or up in Idaho somewhere, decided that unless you uh, provide housing and, and welfare for everybody in the world, you can't tell someone they can't live on public land. Now, if that isn't the, the most idiotic, that's the way to create a dependent society. Do you know that when I went to Russia the first time after the fall of communism, you know when the wall fall, fall, fell, they shut down communism, Berlin Wall fell, everything was unwinding. I went and there were elderly women uh, standing at the, the entry to subways, and they were so s- screwed up in the head. Nice people, sweet ladies. But socialism will, it's like syphilis. It'll screw your mind up. Uh, they were standing, and the only thing they knew how to do was cook, right? Clean and cook, because the government just cut them a check every month, right? And so they since the government wasn't giving them a check anymore, they had to figure out how to make a living. And the one thing they knew how to do was make bread. So they showed up at the subways with loaves of bread. Why would they show up there? Because if you go to the grocery stores, there's nothing on the shelf, right? Just like Venezuela, just like Cuba. It's socialism. So they, once they, the Russians said, Hey, we're done. We're done with socialism, but we don't really have nobody here because they've been doing socialism all these years. Uh, they, the only thing they know to do is they can make some bread and try to sell it. So they were trying to make a living doing that. 
So right now we have politicians that are socialists and judges that are socialist activist judges. And so we have businesses like elite universal security trying to fill in the gap that the police normally just did automatically. They just stopped. So you can't do that here. Move on or, or shape up. So now elite universal security, they, they will protect your business, your farm, your, your house. They'll check on your house. You're going on vacation. They'll help, help you figure out what security you need to do to keep people from taking all your stuff when you're not there at home or not there in your business. They just come cut a hole in the fence, get in there and take your business, take your stuff. So, um, they're looking for workers too. If you want to go to work, you know, if, if the government quit giving money away, people would want to go to work. But if you, you know, a lot of people get in just enough money from the government, they think, Hey, well, I go to work. I'm just going to sit around here and coast. And then I can sell some dope on the side and uh, supplement my income. So anyway, you can, you can get a job with elite universal security all up and down the doggone Sacramento, Lathrop, Sutter, Yuba, Butte, uh, all the way up to Oregon. They're hiring people through elite universal security. They need people and they'll actually train you. You think, man, I'd like to do that, but I need, I don't, do you need some training? Yeah, you do, but they'll train you. And you can just call them, and uh, you can go on their website and look. Some of the classes are actually online at api-academy.com. If you need to get some training, like if you need to get your uh, concealed weapon permit, you can get that through them on August 24th and 25th, just a, a little bit. You're just a week or so away. And uh, also, uh, you can get your renewals done over there. And if you want to do... Uh, if you if you if your wife feels insecure coming out of some of these business or going I'm I'm telling you uh, you know I have females that are friends of mine that they're afraid to go out here on 10th Street in Marysville right where I am where Starbucks Taco Bell uh, Walgreens Sevia they're afraid at after dark to go to go the streets they'll, because they're crazy there's people out of their minds when people do dope they're out of their minds but nobody's going to do anything about it here. So, uh, but Monty Hecker's group works on that. And, uh, so some of your people, some of your female people w may want to do a taser class or a pepper spray class. They want to do one over at, uh, uh, elite universal security at September 7th, right? So you might want to give them a call and sign up for that. They need three students minimum to do that. So, um, check that out. Also, Hey, greenest construction. I just saw on Facebook this morning, they posted a brand new bathroom, amazing bathroom, like took the, took this old bathroom. It was well built, but old, old everything. They just pulled all the fixtures out, all the, all the, uh, wall, wall coverings. <coughs> they got all kinds of marble in there. It's like, come on tile marble. It's beautiful. And so you can check that out at uh, Dave Green. It's construction. They support us here staying on the uh, podcast, Dave Greenitz Construction, uh, Facebook, or you can go on their website, greenitzconstruction.com. Amazing stuff. And, and every one of those photos is, is stuff that they're and their subcontractors. They got amazing subcontractors. I actually know some of them, Dave, Dave, uh, Greg Davey. He does a lot of the painting for uh, Greenitz. They're superb. Really amazing, uh, fun stuff. I'm telling you, their bathrooms will last a lifetime. You put that kind of product in there, you know, uh, ceramic tile, quarry tile, marble, granite. It's like, 
you'll, it'll outlast you. Amazing stuff. High quality. So uh, Greenest Construction, you can reach them off their website. You can email them. You can uh, shoot them a, a phone call. If you're, if you're an older person, you know, you're not a millennial. I know you have a hard time talking to people face-to-face or on the phone. You get a little stuttery. You don't have the practice because you're a techie. You know, you, use, you can use your phone to text with, but you don't know how to talk into it. <clears throat> so you could call them at 530-682-9602, 530-682-9602. If you live in the Yubaceta area, it's a hun- it was 105 or something yesterday. You need a whole house fan. Greenest Construction could throw in a whole house fan and, like, dial your electricity down, your power down, and suck the hot air out of your house. Friend of mine heard I was promoting Dave Greenitz on the on the uh, air, and uh, he said, "Man, I need a deck. I I need to call them and get myself a deck." And so I got I they helped me uh, in the past with all I, I like instead of a deck, I got a a, a brick uh, patio out back, nice and clean. You can cool it off the water, hang out there at night, get out of the house if it gets steamy. So uh, if you want something well done, if you want somebody that's going to show up in the showdown, when they say they're going to do, they're going to clean up their project, they finished, you think, oh, I, did they do it? Were they here? Oh, wow, they were here. They finished. It's like all clean and everything. Uh, they got some really cool designers. They can, you think, oh, I don't even know what I want, how to figure that out. Greenitz can refer you to a designer to figure out the perfect kitchen layout, perfect bathroom layout. They'll do it for you. 530 Zero two, Dave Greenitz Construction on Facebook or GreenitzConstruction.com on the World Wide Web, where we are too at NoHostagesRadio.com. All right, so um, I'm gonna. Uh, I got a great. Uh, this will just shock you. Uh, actually, the visual is even better. Rat populations keeps growing in Los Angeles. Right, I just love it. And uh, so I'm going to play you this clip, and then I'm going to just take a swig of uh, iced tea and come right back. All right. through the streets of Los Angeles, feasting on piles of uncollected trash. Now, the I-Team exposed a problem recently, and the city vowed to clean it up. But we found evidence the city's rodent population is growing, pushing those rats and possibly disease closer to homes and businesses. Investigative reporter Joel Grover pressed the mayor to explain why L.A. has no formal rat control program. Rats race across Ceres Avenue near downtown, competing for food. What's most remarkable is that we saw this army of rats the week after the city cleared away mountains of trash. We're putting resources. With the mayor declaring this once filthy street all cleaned up. This is a juvenile. But these two rodent experts say L.A.'s rat problem is out of control. 
I've never seen this many droppings, ever. That's Neve Quinn of the University of California and Sylvia Kenmuir, who advises the city of New York how to control its rats. I had no idea it was this bad. Bad not just in downtown, but across the city. Our cameras spotted rats running around near people and munching on trash. And sanitation workers gave us these pictures of rats and rat feces that they found inside homeless encampments, encampments where people defecate on the streets. Rodents will eat human feces. They will eat scraps. Could L.A. be doing a better job of controlling Absolutely. the rats? Absolutely. In fact, L.A. still has no formal program to control rats eight months after an epidemic of the infectious disease typhus spread by fleas that often live on rats. Yep. Cities like Washington have workers out every day plugging burrows where rodents nest and multiply. New York City's mayor has formed a rodent academy to train city workers and has a rat task force that meets weekly. Why not have a mayor's task force on rodent control? We are putting together a team right now. As it doesn't have a name. Last October, for a few days, the city sealed rat burrows just in the Skid Row area. But the sanitation department tells us there's no additional rat control effort like that scheduled for this year. And while the mayor says you should call 311 to report trash piles, submit a service request by calling 311, there's no category for reporting rat sightings, even though downtown workers tell us they're seeing more rodents than ever and getting bitten by fleas that live on them. Rats are everywhere, and it's just not acceptable to expose people to this amount of disease. And what about all those rats we found on Ceres Avenue, which sits right next to LA's produce district? They're crawling on the boxes, they're crawling on the produce. This is a serious health problem. What are you doing today to control the rats and deal with the rat burrows here? Sure, I, let me get back to you. I don't know if there's action taken today. The day after we questioned the mayor, his spokesman said a contractor filled 15 rat burrows with flea powder and rat poison and stuffed them with paper and wire mesh. This is definitely an active burrow. But just two hours later, the I-team was there with those two experts, and they found plenty of active rat burrows that weren't filled. They also saw rats still running wild. Here he comes. See him? A health threat to all of L.A. These things are running around in our cities, in our restaurants, in our children's schools. Experts tell us that clearing trash without first doing careful rodent abatement may actually be making the problem worse by pushing rats into nearby businesses to find a new food source. Back to you. A day made. 24 little hours What the sun and the flowers mm, Where there used to be rain All right, welcome back. I wanted to uh, read something to you that uh, they... On the internet, it says George Carlin. Remember the comedian George Carlin who passed here a year or two ago? Uh, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a clip here, and then we'll talk about <clears throat> some other stuff here uh, about the, the Statue of Liberty. But I want to play uh, – let me read this George Carlin, Carlin clip uh, or write up. At least they say he wrote it. You know, sometimes on the internet, they, they attribute things to people. You think, ah, I don't know whether he said that or not, but it may be good anyway. 
This says the paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers, wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense, more knowledge but less judgment, more experts yet more problems, more medicine but less wellness. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, Drive too fast, get too angry, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too little, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet the new neighbor. We conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We've conquered the atom, but not our prejudice. We write more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies than ever, but we communicate less and less and less. These are the times of fast foods and slow digestion, big men and small character, steep profits and shallow relationships. These are the days of two incomes but more divorce, fancier houses but broken homes. These are the days of quick trips, disposable diapers, throwaway morality, one-night stands, outweigh overweight bodies and pills that do everything from cheer to quiet to kill it is a time when there is much in the classroom when sorry there's much it's a time when there is much in the showroom window and nothing in the stock room a time when technology can bring this letter to you and a time when you can choose either to share this insight or just hit delete Remember to spend some time with your loved ones because they are not going to be around forever. Remember to say a kind word to someone who looks up to you in awe because that little person soon will grow up and leave your side. Remember to give a warm hug to the person next to you because that is the only treasure you can give with your heart and it doesn't cost a cent. Remember to say I love you to your partner and your loved ones, but most of all mean it. A kiss and an embrace will mend Hurt when it comes from deep inside of you. Remember to hold hands and cherish the moment for someday that person will not be there again. Give time to love, give time to speak, and give time to share the precious thoughts in your mind. And always remember, life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by those moments that take our breath away. Just a thought. I want to play a clip for you. Um, called social insecurity and it's about the complete fraud and ripoff social security is so i'm going to play this and then we'll be right back social security was um marketed by fdr as a scheme to save for your own retirement and the reason for it very commonsensical is that most of us think in the short term so that if we have money, we want to spend it now. We're going to need it later, but we're not 
long-term enough to think that way. And so the idea is, what about if, when you get a paycheck of, let's say, $2,000, what if we pull $200 out? It's your money. And we'll put it in an account, ideally, theoretically, with your name on it, and that money will grow over time, and when you're 65 and you really need it, you've earned it, it's your money. This is how Social Security was marketed, this is how it was sold, this is how people think it operates today. Uh, my father-in-law, who died recently, was like, I'm getting nothing out of Social Security except what I put in. Now that's not actually true, but that's what he was told. And that's how he was sold on it. So, it was not sold as a socialist program. Nobody said, all right, we're all gonna work, and the government's gonna collect our money, and then it's gonna give us money, at the, let's just say it's gonna give us all the same amount of money when we turn 65 in an annuity that the government will control. That's more like what Social Security is, but notice it isn't exactly like that. People who paid more get bigger payments because the government is maintaining the lie, the pretense, that they have an account with your name, which they don't, and that they've saved your money that you put in over the years, that in fact they've spent it the moment you gave it to them. So it's a completely crooked operation. If, if the Duke and the Dauphin and Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn had been doing this, they would, be getting, they would get life in prison. Take Social Security. So here I am, I take my oath of citizenship, I'm a naturalized American, and then the government comes to me, Dinesh, great idea, we've got this wonderful Social Security plan, it's gonna help you save for your retirement. It's gonna mean that in your old age you'll be comforted, you'll have some money that you put by and stuff, great scheme. And I go, guys, listen, I really appreciate the thought, I never thought that growing up in India there'd be some guy in America thinking about me and my retirement, but evidently you have. I really appreciate it. Thank you, but no thanks. I'm an emancipated American. I'm a U.S. citizen. I will take care of myself. When I'm old, if I lack money, I will go to my friends and relatives, and if they don't help me, I'll die in the street. Thank you, but offer declined. What would happen? What would happen would be they would start garnishing my income and forcing me to give money, and let's say I didn't, I refused. Then they would send agents, and these days they don't come with folders, they come with helicopters and guns, and they surround my house, and they pull out their guns and put them on me and demand that I come out. And if I were to say, listen, I'm, this is unjust, I refuse to do this, I, I, you know, I only have an old revolver, but I'm gonna defend myself, what would really happen is that they would shoot me dead. And that would be the end of it. All because they care about me and my future. So this is the naked power of government. Disguised though it may be, it's very real. And ultimately, we have to ask, is this really what we call morality? Is this really what we call human decency? Is this actually the kind of society that makes us really proud of being Americans? All right. I want to talk about, uh, there's a... There's a uh, if, you're, if you listen to the media, and a lot of us that are older have the habit of listening to the media because that's where we got all our information. We trusted the word that came from the media. And I find myself, check it out if you're over 50, 50 over 55, which I'm far above that. Uh, check it out if, if this isn't the truth. You, you're listening to something and you're just shocked by it. But then you realize it's a total lie. And it happened, I think, oh, I learned it now. I'm not going to pay attention in that way, and, and be, I'm not going to be believable. It's not going to be, 
I'm not going to believe that. But then I do. I listen, and then I believe it. I think, what the heck? And then I realize that's a lie. It's a total fabrication of what. And so it's mainstream media that's given. And then and on the internet, it's the same thing. It's what can you believe? And so the media is has an agenda. You just it's so hard to get that through our heads because for years they did not. They just told the news. They just told it, and they didn't give editorial comment about it. Now it's all editorial comment. And so this whole thing about immigration is a total fraud that's saying, oh, there's concentration camps on the border, and Trump made them. It's a total lie. The thing of, well, you know, people, you know, we've always taken in people in the United States, and we've taken care of them totally. It's a total lie. It's a complete fabrication. So recently, Donald Trump uh, hired a guy, uh, and let me get down here to, uh, he'd been looking for a guy to take charge of immigration, and he tried a couple, and there were problems getting him approved, but he, he hired Ken Cuccinelli who had been an uh, attorney general in another state. Uh, I think it was Virginia, but I may be wrong. It doesn't make any difference. Anyway, Cuccinelli was talking about the the green card, people that are in the United States, and there's rules on whether who can get welfare and all the free stuff, right? And the Democrats threw a fit, and they lied about and twisted the truth on the you know who deserves what. And they started anything any any Republican does is racist, even if a Democrat does it. So Obama and Clinton maybe have had done it before, but they're fine. But if Trump does it, it's racist. Now, there's this great confusion over immigration and and the fact of all these rules. Why do we have laws? Why don't we have no borders? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Doesn't the Statue of Liberty say this? Doesn't the Statue of Liberty say that? And so maybe you've never been to the Statue of Liberty and you've never got to read what's on the Statue of Liberty. But, uh, and I haven't, but you can look it up, right? So there's all this discussion about, oh, send me this person and send me that type of person. And I just want to give a little sense of history here. So what happened was when the French decided to build this thing called the Statue of Liberty, Liberty and bring it to the U.S., they, they needed to build a foundation for it. And uh, so they had to do some fundraising. Just like today, we do fundraising for all kinds of things. We build signs. We build baseball parks, Little League parks. We, we do all kinds of things. We raise money, right? And we do spaghetti feeds. We do buy a brick, you know, there's all kinds of ways to raise money. So that's, ex there was a fundraiser in New York and he, he took on the challenge, uh, to raise money, to build the base that the Statue of Liberty was going to be on. And, uh, so in order to do that, they said, uh, And anyway, I'm trying to get out of the right spot so I can explain this and not miss it. So there were they were going to have a fundraiser 
by auctioning off, you know how you go to a fundraiser and they auction off stuff. There's raffled and then there's silent auctions. We've done them for trauma intervention. And so they, um, they said, hey, let's do an art and literacy auction, right? Literacy, literary works auction. So people would donate poems or books or manuscripts and art. And then they were on the auction off. And, and uh, it was called the Art Loan Fund Exhibition and Aid. And uh, it was called, a, 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 it's a long deal. But anyway, it was a Bartholdi Pedestal Fund. They had to build a pedestal for the Statue of Liberty to sit. So they were raising the money to build this thing to put out in the water. And they need to construct it. So uh, so people got a hold of American poet Emma Lazarus. And as you might guess, she's Jewish with the name Lazarus, right? It's a biblical name. And uh, so she didn't want to do it, but they convinced her, hey, 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 this is a big deal. This is a statement to all the immigrants and and Emma Lazarus and many Jews at that time, Emma Lazarus lived between 1849 and 1887, right? And uh, so they were very concerned because Jews were being persecuted like they have been since biblical times. They were being persecuted in Europe and Russia. And many were fleeing and trying to come to the United States. And, and so they convinced Emma Lazarus, a Jew who was concerned about her Jewish uh, Ethnic, ethnic group and wanted to help them. They said, listen, if you write this, this will be good. We can get this Statue of Liberty up. Da, da, da. It's going to be huge. So, uh, so she, in 1883, just a few years, four years before her death, she wrote uh, this, this poem and, uh, and it, she donated it and then people could bid on it. And uh, so it was called the the new Colossus. There was an old Colossus, but it was called the new Col- new new Colossus. And uh, the writer Constance Constance Carey Harrison was a good friend of uh, Emma Lazarus, and she convinced her that this went, this statue was going to have great significance to f- to future immigrants sailing into the harbor. And Constance was correct. So the new Colossus was the first entry read at the this fundraiser. Uh, which opened in November 2nd, 1883, just a few years before Emma died. And uh, so it's, it's the one item that has remained connected to the, uh, to the statue ever since. Uh, so it says they remained associated with the exhibit through a published catalog until the exhibit closed after the pedestal was fully funded. So it took two years and they fully funded the pedestal to put the statue on as it arrived. But it was forgotten and played no role at, at the opening of the statue. In other words, they coronated the statue. They put it on the pedestal. And the, the saying that everybody's fighting over and having a pissing contest over today wasn't even on there. And uh, it was later, it was in 1991, Emma Lazarus' friend Georgina Schuler. Uh, wanted to memorialize the poem and Emma Lazarus. And so in 1990, 1903, years after Emma died, a plaque, it, it wasn't an engraving, a plaque was cast uh, bearing the text of the poem. 
and it was put on the inner wall of the pedestal of Statue of Liberty. If you look on the hand of the Statue of Liberty, there's there's actually an engraving or plaque that says uh, the date July 4th, uh, 1776. But this plaque in bronze is inside the Statue of Liberty with the poem. Now, here's the poem. Uh, It says, I don't know whether I can see this whole thing. Uh, My computer's not clicking right. It says, with the Colossus of Rhodes, as imagined in the poem, it says that's where the original Colossus comes from, the Colossus of Rhodes. So she said, this is a new Colossus. She says, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, not like the brazen giant Greek fame of old, here at, at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she. With silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. So, uh, the, the Greek Colossus of Rhodes was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and she basically copied the, the, the flavor or the, the idea of it. And uh, so, Lazarus imminent contrasts the ancient symbol of grandeur and empire of the Greek fame to the new Colossus, the Statue of Liberty, or the female embodiment of a commanding maternal strength or mother of all exiles. So the huddled masses refers to, you know, again, everybody comes up with their own image of what this all meant. But we, we know because people knew Emma Lazarus, the huddled masses refers to the large numbers of immigrants arriving in the United States in the 1880s. Lazarus was an activist and advocate for Jewish refugees fleeing persecution in Tsarist Russia. Now, refugees coming to the United States have always been treated differently than just people that wanted to immigrate here. Like we took the Hmong here, right? And Hmong, we brought them here as refugees who fought with us in the, in the uh, Southeast Asia, and we provided them financial resources when they got here. But just a typical refugee, that, the typical immigrant that just decided, I'm, I'm a European, I'm a German, I'm, a, I'm, I'm from uh, wherever, right? I, Ireland, Germany, whatever, continental Europe. And I'm not doing so good here, and I think there's good things going on in America, I'm going to go to America. So if you could get here in the 1800s, or the late 1700s, you did not have to have a visa. You just, if you got here, you could simply, uh, if, if you passed the health screening at Ellis Island, you could come here, but you didn't get any free benefits. There was no welfare. There was no free education. There was no health care. Uh, there was no uh, 
general assistance. There was nothing. So unless you had friends or relatives here that could give you a place to stay and get you a job, uh, you didn't do so hot, right? But most people stayed, right? Because they were hard workers. They were skills. They brought skills. And they stayed. And uh, they made a life for themselves. Those that could not or did not want to or didn't like how it was working out, they went home. They went back. But there wasn't any freebies. The only freebies that people ever got were if they were refugees. And even at the at this time, the, the refugees didn't even get anything. Nowadays, it's a little different. So this new this whole thing about people crossing the border and signing up for all this stuff, that's a brand new thing. And in many ways, it's against the law. That's what Trump is, is identifying. Now, um, there, there are all kinds of explanation about people know, knew all this poem and what it meant. In other words, it talked about the Hudson River and it talked about New Jersey and New York. And these were the cities that it, that it was splitting in, in between as it talks about it. And so it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool poem. But many times uh, it's been uh, mishandled or purposely misused. And so what's happening with Ken Cuccinelli and his dis- what he's bringing up is the fact that they're going to enforce the immigration laws that prevent certain people that are coming into this country from cashing in on free aid that taxpayers should be benefiting from, not immigrants. So it says it's long been commonplace for the Democrats in this article, it says, and the media to misrepresent any and all policies proposed by the Trump administration. And uh, so they brought, so Cuccinelli brought up the green card rule, which is regarding public charge regulation. That means that people weren't supposed to come here and become a charge of the public, which means they get they get taken care of, right? Uh, and so th- those statutes had been on the books. It implements these are two bipartisan statutes. These are these are voted on by Republican and Democrats in the 1990s, but now it's been mischaracterized as a reversal of the nation's historic immigration philosophy. Now the the poem on the Statue of Liberty Liberty is not law. It was just a poem. But at that time, at the time that the the poem actually got put on the statue in the early 1900s was the time when actually laws were passed in America that said, hey, you can come here, but we're not going to pay for you to come here. And we're not going to pay for you to be here. You got to make your own way and pay taxes. If there's taxes, you're going to pay. You got to take care of your own room and board. And you got to take care of your own education and your health and stuff. You cannot become a charge to the public. That's what they're talking about. Now, I'm at a break here, so I'm going to just take a, uh, I'm just going to introduce something. I'm going to, uh, this is a mind-blowing clip right here. And then I'm going to come back. It says, why, be, why believe all women, question mark, with Ben Shapiro? He def- talks about due process with, with uh, accusations of women. Okay, we'll be right back.
in light of everything that's going on at the moment, we all believe rape and sexual assault are heinous crimes. We all want rapists behind bars. But I feel that in this climate, logic, evidence, and data are kind of being lost in translation. And also there's a very pervasive, you're with us or against us mentality that's really doing a lot more harm than good. So my question to you is, how can we best stand up for the importance of due process and the presumption of innocence while also doing what we can to support survivors? Okay, so I think that uh, there's actually a third question that I want to address that you didn't even ask. So I'll address the first two and then there's a third one that I think is implicit in the first two. So when it comes to standing up for due process, the answer is that we actually have to stand up for it, even in cases where it makes us uncomfortable or even where we believe that the person may be responsible for something bad because once you lose due process for one, you lose due process for everybody, obviously. Uh, when it comes to standing up for sexual assault survivors, I think the idea that we ought to take everybody's first account with the respect it deserves means not dismissing, not downplaying, but it also means asking the proper questions in order to get at the truth. That doesn't mean intimidating people, it doesn't mean calling people liars without evidence that they're lying, it doesn't mean mocking them, obviously, God forbid. It doesn't mean doing any of those things. You know, I've, I've, throughout the Christine Blasey Ford thing, I, kept, I keep saying over and over and over, I'm not calling her a liar, I'm not mocking her. I don't know if she's lying, I don't know if she's telling the truth, I don't know if she's misremembering, I don't know any of that stuff. All I know is that due process requires such and such to happen. Now, the, the real answer in the end to a lot of what's happening, and here's, here's the really unpopular part with the left. The left destroyed traditional mores with regard to relations between the sexes. Destroyed them wholesale. So the original idea was that men were supposed to act with honor and chivalry in protecting women, and women were supposed to look for, for example, relationships just as men were. Sexual activity was supposed to be confined, this was at least the ideal, was supposed to be confined to committed relationships, particularly marriage. Not everybody lived up to that, but a huge number of people did. In fact, once people got pregnant, people basically got married. There are studies from the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s shows an awful lot of seven-month marriage babies, right? People who are sleeping together, getting pregnant, and then the couple gets married. When you don't teach men to protect women, you get men who will victimize women. And when you don't teach women that they ought to cherish men who are responsible and good, all you end up doing is incentivizing bad male behavior. The feminist movement was not wrong when they said men are acting like pigs. They were wrong when they said women also ought to act like pigs and that this is a solution to our problem. Because the reverse, because now what's happened is they got rid of all the traditional mores about how sex ought to be connected with love and ought to be connected with relationships. They got rid of all of that. It was just a bodily function now. Except, except when it comes to actual sexual assault, we treat that differently than any other bodily function, obviously. But that, that's the problem, right? So they, they create the standard where sex is basically a throwaway item, sort of like eating. And then we treat sex very differently when it comes to what we all know it is, which is a deeply important and intimate part of a person's life. And then we attempt to backdoor standards of consent that, frankly, don't make any sense in a real-life context. So you get college campuses in California saying that what you need is a yes-means-yes yes standard, where you have like a, first, like a legal checklist, I guess, where every time you do anything in the bedroom, you're supposed to ask, am I allowed to touch your hand? Am I allowed to touch your shoulder? Am I allowed to touch your hair? Which has never ever resulted in actual fulfillment of a sexual encounter, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's sort of like, it's like Zeno's paradox. If you have a yes means yes standard, the closer you get, the further away you are. And the, <laughs> the, the, the and again, sex is, uh, this is, this is where women really gave up on marriage a lot too soon. Okay, marriage was the best thing ever for women. It is an amazing, it's a, an amazing thing for men too because it civilizes them, it cultures them, it teaches them to be protectors of their family and to take care of people and to think beyond themselves and to think beyond their generation. Women gave up in marriage a way to teach men to do those things 
And also, women gave up the idea that a commitment was going to come along with this intimacy. And let's be real about this. I mean, every scientific study ever done has shown that women actually do have better sex in the context of committed relationships. All of the crap that you see in Cosmo magazine about sleeping with 100 guys and being sexually happy is just garbage. It is just sheer, unadulterated garbage. No, long answer to a short question, but reinculcation of traditional roles of male and female with the same feminist respect that we ought to have for women at all steps of the process is the answer. Thank you. I hope people are listening. <laughs>
But then he 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 adds in what the law says. He says he starts giving the quote, but then he doesn't say this is the actual quote, but he says this is this is what the United States law said. And this is what immigrants were told. Give me your tired and poor who can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. Now, he's he's adding in what the law says. But instead, these uh, media people accused him of misquoting or changing Emma Lazarus deal. He wasn't. He was just saying, philosophically, as Americans, this is what we said to the world. Hey, you're tired. You're getting your butt kicked over there. If you can, if you can stand on your own two feet and contribute to our country, come on, baby. We'll take you on. They were not offering free health, free popsicles, free diapers, free formula, right? Uh, free gender change. Free income, free housing, right? Free needles. Said the plaque, this writer says the plaque was put on the Statue of Liberty at almost the same time as the first public charge law was passed. In other words, Americans begin to, uh, politicians, legislators begin to pass public law charges because, uh, or public charge laws to define, hey, what's the plan here? People come here, are, are we supposed to help them? What are we supposed to be doing? And they defined it in a law. So uh, anyway, th- either these journalists don't know their butt from a hole in the ground. So anyway, this article says the Lazarus sonnet or poem was written in 1883 for the purpose of raising money for the pedestal upon the Statue of Liberty I already told you that, but it did not reflect U.S. immigration law then or now. That poem has nothing to do with immigration law then or now. That's that's the truth. The Democrats, they don't want people to know that. So they want to, like, throw dirt in the air and cause a big fuss. The Immigration Act of 1882 was the first comprehensive immigration statute enacted by Congress. If you look, um, you can look on uh, YouTube and look up Martin, uh, Milton Friedman, and he will describe his family who were Russian Jews who did exactly what Emma Lazarus was concerned about. They were being persecuted in Russia. And they fled Russia, and they came to the United States. And Milton Friedman would say, we got nothing. They got nothing. They came here. I think his dad or, or mom was a tailor. And for you that don't know what that means, that's somebody that puts clothes together, right? And, and they did exactly what people were doing back then. They got here, and they could take care of themselves, and they made a life, and their son became one of the top economists in, in the world. And uh, so uh, so the statue was cool. It had a cool phrase on it that a woman wrote to raise money for the statue, but it did not reflect legislation then or now the immigration act of 1882 was the first comprehensive immigration statute enacted by congress and it excluded excluded that mean you can't come anyone unable to care for themselves without becoming a public charge in other words you got to take care of yourself the government won't do it it said it plain in the 18 act of 1882 Cuccinelli Ken Cuccinelli was simply saying that self-sufficiency 
is also a part of the American ethos. Helping people that are getting their butt kicked, you're tired, you're poor, you don't have freedom of speech, you don't like living under a communist country, yeah, you can come. But also a part of the ethos was self taking care of yourself. You know, it's interesting. I was reading to the inmates at Yuba County Jail the other day. And I was talking about his anger management class. I was talking about it talked in Ephesians about not talking trash, not lying, you know, not not using corrupt communication. But it all but it also talked about, hey, quit stealing. He's talking to Christian people, people that are converts to Christianity. He said, well, you guys quit stealing. You're thieves. Go out and get a job. It didn't say go out and get welfare. It didn't say go out and get some cardboard and, and write a slogan on it so you can get a hand up. He said, go get a job. Work with your hands so you have enough for yourself and help others with it too. He said, be charitable. Go out and earn money and you be charitable. Not the government be charitable. That, that was never the concept. So Ken Cuccinelli said, you know something? There's more to this ethos. In other words, what's the esprit de corps? What's in the spirit of America? The spirit of America is kick butt, man. Get out there and earn a living. Make some money. Take care of your people. You can, if you want to buy three pairs of pants for your daughter to go to school or five pair of pants or 50 pair of pants, God bless you, right? There's no rules. Like, get it on. Doll up your daughter. Send her to school. The government's not telling you. It's not telling you what you can spend your money on, how to do this, how to do that, when you can do that, when you can do We don't want that. We want freedom. So Cuccinelli used the poem to highlight a more historically accurate description of U.S., immigration policy from the time the new colossus poem was written to the present the new colossus poem had nothing to do with law it just was a woman uh, kind of mimicking the old colossus greek colossus poem she wrote a new one which fit america right and the the jewish uh immigrants so but you know in a anything trump does whether he cures cancer fixes the stock market Beach China on terrace. It just doesn't make any difference because you're just going to hear bad, 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 bad. Go to hell. That's what you're going to hear. So the hundred. This is a hundred and fifty year old part of our legal immigration system. A hundred and forty year old part. It's called the public charge rule. The idea of public charge being that one isn't supposed to become a burden to the public. That would be me and you. In other words, I shouldn't have to pay for some dude coming in here, right? If I want to help my next door neighbor, I should have the freedom to do that. But they shouldn't be able to take my taxes and give it to the woman next door. That is thievery. And that's what's going on every day with our welfare, socialist welfare system. It's corrupt. It's thievery. You know who who looks good in that? Politicians. They take my money and pay for the person across the street who's sitting around doing stupid stuff all day. So it's called the public charge rule. The idea of a public charge being that it isn't supposed to become that a person's not supposed to become a burden on the government. It does like, how is that too much to ask to continue that tradition of inviting immigrants here uh, who aren't going to go on welfare and should, you know, to me, I've heard Rush Limbaugh say this. I like it. He says, Hey, why don't we just say, let anyone come. But you got to come through the the door and you got to sign up. But you cannot have any welfare for five or ten years. You can't get any personal benefits for five or ten years. If you can make it, 
Hallelujah to you. If you can't screw you, go back home. Right. But the Democrats don't want that. It's, they want to promise because they're going to vote Democrat. It's all of it. They don't care about America. They don't compare about compare about the ethos of America, the spirit of America, the Constitution of America. They don't they don't care about the law only when the law supports what they want to do. And they just want votes and they want power and they want to control and they want a socialist country that they can run. Because no socialist country, there isn't any example you can find in the world that's successful. Self-sufficiency is central to the American value set. I'm telling you, I've gone around and around at church with this. I said, we cannot, you just give money and get stuff away. It's make, make, it's crippling people. It's like pulling, it's like taking a cocoon and opening it up and taking the butterfly out. The dude will never learn to fly. It cripples the butterfly. People need to struggle to get on their feet, helping them a little. Absolutely. I help people every day. I help people literally every single day, giving them advice, money, suggestions, da, 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 connections to get on their feet. Right. But self-sufficiently, sufficiency is what has made America great. You take that away. You get you get the majority of people. All you need to get is about 45, 46, 47, 48 percent of the American people all on a handout. And you'll be like Greece. It will collapse all around us. You think, oh, America is always going to be like this. You're f so full of crap. You don't know what you're talking about. Self self-sufficiency is central to the American value set. And it's always central to our uh, immigration history. This idea of you slipping through the border and just hitting the, the national lottery is totally twisted and, uh, is, and weird, and it won't work. We have people right here a few blocks from my house. It's a, we have an a immigration detention center at the Yuba County Jail, and I've met hundreds and hundreds of immigrants from around the world there because I run some programs in there for all kinds of prisoners, whether they're local or not. I am amazed at people who have families and they're stuck in that jail by their own choosing. They could walk over to the Homeland Security person that works in the jail and say, I want out and I want to go back home, home being the, their country of origin. Because they don't have a, they don't have citizenship. They don't have a green card. They don't have a proper visa and they've or they've committed a crime. And now they they're being deported. They're going to the deportation due process. Do you know, do you know if you're a, if you break into this country and you're not a citizen, we can't throw you out until we run you through the court system and give you attorneys, et cetera, et cetera, and, and pay for you every day that a person sleeps in that Yuba County jail is costing taxpayers about a hundred dollars a day per person for these illegal, illegal immigrants. I like a lot of them. They're nice people. I don't get me wrong. Have they committed some gnarly crimes? Yep, they have. You wouldn't like it if I told you what, what they did. But they're fighting. In, they've served their time somewhere else, and now they're fighting deportation. Let me tell you something. Would you be willing? Some of you socialists wouldn't. If they said to you, you're going to have to go to jail for two or three years to stay in this country. Otherwise, we're going to deport you to Venezuela. What, what would you do? These people are willing to stay one, two, three, and more years in a, in a lockdown facility for the chance to win back 
the permission to stay in America and tap into the, the lottery, free education, free college. If I have a baby, I don't even need to feed the baby. The government will feed the baby. Free health care, right? Free, 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 free. Section 8 housing. They hit the national lottery. Why should they? Why not say, okay, we'll, we'll let you stay here, but you can't, you can't get anything free. Your name is going to be, if, if you pop up on any of these lists, we're going to, no questions asked, we're going to deport you with no, no uh, due process, right? That's what's happening here. So, uh, so what the Trump administration's doing is just simply saying, hey, we want immigration, but we want legal immigration. Now, I have all kinds of friends that are legal immigrants from India. All over the place. Puerto Rico, India, uh, Vietnam. They came in legally. Laos. And and they became citizens or they have or, or they're legal residents. They're not maybe citizens, but they're legal residents. But they're here legally. They're here legally. And uh, self-sufficiency is central to the American value set. It is not central to the left value set. They want people to be dependent on the government because if they say, hey, I'm, I'm Lou Benninger and I'm the politician for this area and, and you're getting welfare, right? You're getting all the aid you need, right? You got this, you got that, you got this. Well, that's because I'm voting for you. I got your back, right? And so they vote for me. That's totally contrary to the founding fathers, the spirit of this country, etc. cetera. Uh, so Cuccinelli was simply restating the Trump administration. They're getting to all the issues that have been out of whack. There's many laws. There's laws in every city, every county, every state, and at the federal level that are laws on the books that people aren't enforcing. And then there are, there are rules that aren't even laws that they come in and take your rights away. Like they'll come out on your farm and tell you you can't use that water. You can't plow that, that field. And they're all lawless government officials trying to enforce uh, left-wing, push you off the land. So uh, this article says, you will note, uh, well, it says Monday's rule is an attempt to enact or put in force Mr. Trump's priorities. It embraces people who have financial means while shunning immigrants who are struggling. That is certain to affect the flow of immigrants who have sought refuge in the United States from impoverished places like Africa, Central America, and the Caribbean. It says, you will note that this passage, the, the uh, poem, refers to immigrants who have sought refuge, implying that the rule so will somehow harm refugees. And this writer says this is a complete distortion of the facts. Cuccinelli points out this regulation has no impact no impact on humanitarian-based immigration programs for refugees. In other words, they keep trying to say that the Emmett Lazarus poem is law. It is not law. But there is immigration laws that permits treating refugees differently than somebody that just wants to say, like, I have a friend named Phil. He's Australian. He is not a refugee. He's well-to-do. He did good in business internationally, but he likes America. And he would like to be a citizen here. So he does not need, he would not qualify for welfare here. That's what they're saying. So uh, Cuccinelli points out the reg regulation has no impact on humanitarian-based immigration programs for refugees. So 
it, the guy says, asks a rhetorical question. What, what do we make of the so-called green card rule? Despite the false claims of the Democrats, it's perfectly consistent with 140 years of U.S. immigration policy. Trump is not coming up with anything new. It's what we should be doing. We've been doing. Previous administrations have done. Generations after generations of America have conformed to and been happy with. But not now. Now we don't want any borders. We want them to collect everything. So uh, it's just another distortion, another lie, another ripoff of the left. It's just more and more and more of the same. So uh, we're going to take a break. I'm going to sh- I'm going to play you a clip called the new. It's a new Democrat campaign ad, and then uh, we got Terrence Williams causing asking the question: Was Jeffrey Epstein his death? Was it a cover up? Who knows? But maybe you'll get a kick out of Terrence's view. Be right back. If you want something to play with, go and find yourself a toy. Maybe my time is too expensive. And I'm not a little boy. Hi, I'm a spokesperson for the Democratic Party, and I'm here to tell you why you need to vote blue this November. Democrats are the party of love and tolerance. We promote inclusion and acceptance, peace and goodwill. Republicans don't care about any of these things. They just want to talk about record unemployment, the economy, and keeping communities safe. Fascists. Democrats have positive, practical priorities, like abolishing the Electoral College, eliminating due process, and banning hate speech. These are the values of the American people. Well, at least Americans that live in San Francisco and New York. Republicans often use fear-mongering rhetoric, like constitution or liberty. Democrats condemn such language as divisive and instead focus on more unifying topics like repealing the Second Amendment or kneeling for the national anthem. Democrats are the party of equality, so much so that we insist upon unconditionally believing women and disbelieving men because, well, feminism. If you ask us to explain this logically, we will scream in your face and call you a misogynist. Republicans want to take away a woman's sacred right to choose to have her child decapitated inside the womb and torn apart limb by limb with forceps. Democrats celebrate the right to violently murder your child because we're compassionate. Democrats believe that women are powerful and independent. They are also helpless victims of the patriarchy who require government intervention to succeed. Any woman who disagrees with us on this is a self-hating, stupid bimbo. And you know, it's time someone was finally brave enough to say this. Republicans are racist. Democrats have the same positive message for minorities that we have for women. You're a victim, and you're useful to us. If you disagree, we'll insult your intelligence, but it's for your own good. Republicans want to stop certain people from coming into this country. They cite the infiltration of gang violence or opioids or sex trafficking as reasons to stop illegal immigration. But Democrats accept these as the natural consequences of opening up the borders, which, of course, is the more loving thing to do. 
Democrats recognize that the key to a better tomorrow is to look forward, not backward. That's why we reject capitalism and all of its greed and instead opt for socialism, which has worked so well every time it's been tried. Democrats are the party of the common people, the poor and the marginalized, the weak and defenseless. While Republicans promise freedom, we promise free stuff. That's how we win over young people. Our goal is to make the government work for you so you don't have to work at all. Republicans are always pushing religion in our faces. We reject their bigotry. Religious people are idiots. Democrats would much rather you sacrifice yourself on the altar of progressivism. The truth is, as the party of empathy, we're just better than everyone else. That's why we spend so much time telling people who don't align with our agenda that they're not just wrong, but that they're bad people. We still haven't figured out that this condescension is what lost us the 2016 election. Nevertheless, we're confident that through censorship, emotional manipulation, and continued bullying that will eventually get our way. Why? Because we care about you. So much so that we're willing to wear you down until you fear getting silenced, doxxed, or fired because you don't agree with our agenda. That's love. I'm the spokesperson for the Democratic Party. Vote for us in November. When you are on suicide watch, all they give you is tissue. You cannot hang yourself with tissue. I don't know who told you that, but you can't do it. Look, you cannot hang, your, no matter how hard you try, you cannot hang yourself with tissue. How in the world did this man kill himself while on a 24-7 hour suicide watch with tissue, huh? And then get this. Now, this is really suspicious. They said now they are saying that he was released from suicide, from suicide watch on a Saturday. On a Saturday? The psychiatrists don't even really work on Saturdays. And what psychiatrist is coming in to release a prisoner from suicide watch on a Saturday, huh? It wasn't the psychiatrist. I can tell you that. Who was it? Who released him from suicide watch on a Saturday? Who? Scooby-Doo? Who? Dr. Phil? Who? Bill Clinton? Who? Who did it? Who released him from suicide watch and then put something in his hand to kill himself with? Who would do that? Who in their right mind would do that? No psychiatrist would do that at all. Hold on. This is the kicker right here. It gets better. Now there are reports saying that the cameras were not working. There was something wrong with the cameras. Come on, y'all. Y'all don't find that, that to be suspicious. Come on. On 24-7 hour suicide watch, cameras stopped working. Man, the, the man ended up dead on suicide watch. And then hold on. Now they're saying that the psychiatrist came in on the weekend, counsel plans with the family to take him off a of suicide watch, only for him to kill himself seconds later. Hmm. Conspiracy theory? No. I'm just another black man trying to put some things together in this country. That's all. <laughs> can do make all this world seem right. Only you can do make the darkness bright. Only well, we're into our uh, last segment here, and <clears throat> I wanted to give a shout out to uh, the plumbing doctor. They're a plumbing service here in Yuba Center counties. They've helped me out uh, on the show. So when I acknowledge them, and, and uh, if you have a plumbing need around your house, which I do every year, something happens, something blows up. I live in an old house, so stuff wears out, right? 
like my body, every once in a while a part will malfunction. I have to go and get a new part put in. So same way, same way with your house. And so when that happens, some, some of you are handy enough. You just go do it yourself, right? I don't have time to make multiple trips when, you know, how you make a trip to the store, fix something. You think, oh, I forgot to get this. Oh, I forgot to get that. Then you got to make another trip across town. So with me, I just hire somebody to do it and move on so I can keep doing what I'm doing, what I like to do. So the plumbing doctor, you can, that these guys will come out 24 hours a day. They don't, they don't mess around. Right. And, uh, they give you a, a quote on the project. They just don't keep adding on stuff. So they kind of a menu of costs. So you can like do it or not do it, get a quote from them. You can reach them at five, three, zero, six, seven, one, nine, one, 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 just like nine, one, one. Five three zero six seven one nine one 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 three ones. So give them a shout. I know these guys. All the guys that I'm talking about: Dave Greenitz, Money Hacker with Elite Security, Dave Greenitz, Dave Greenitz Construction, Ted Holmes. These guys I've known for years. Trust them and uh, think they do a great job. And uh, so check them out if you want to support what we're doing. Also, you know some some people. You know we we don't make money on this show. Uh, we just are just telling a story to try to influence people to what we think America ought to be up to. So if you want to uh, contribute to this uh, show, you can. Uh, you can send it uh, checks if you want, or actually better than that, if you want me to advertise for you. We are on one, once a week on Saturdays, and uh, I can give you a pitch, promote you, uh, so obviously we're being listened to in multiple states. So you may be a local business here. But if you uh, serve elsewhere, we can help you elsewhere as well. So you can get a hold of me. You can uh, text me or call me at seven uh, five three zero seven one three one eight three eight five three zero seven one three one eight three eight, Or you can uh, send me an email at lou at uh, no hostages. That's L O U. No ho- at no hostages radio dot com. If you are interested in helping with the show, or you want to, uh, you know, people donate. So, 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 I have people that every once in a while send me some money just towards the show. Somebody did it the other day. They listen to the show every week. They said, "Hey Lou, we love the show, and we want to help s- cover some of the costs of being on the internet." And uh, editing the show and all that kind of stuff. We got Tanner Martis down in Texas who helps us do the technology and stuff that I don't know and makes it. If like somebody said the other day, oh that show sounded really good. I said, well, <clears throat> I did the talking, but the real work happened in putting all the clips together and making it flow smoothly and sound well and you know cleaning things up a bit. So that would be Tanner who does that work. So. Anyway, if you want to help us, uh, you can also send stuff to me at Lou Benninger, B-I-N-N-I-N-G-E-R, at uh, at P.O. Box 88, or Box 88, Marysville, 95901. That's California. So uh, <clears throat> I want to finish up today <clears throat> talking about the assault on the government. The Bible says we ought to respect government, honor government, pray for the government. The Founding Fathers believed that, but they also said we ought to limit government because government grows and grows and grows and actually robs us of our freedom and and our uh, liberty. So, uh, and the Bible says that 
the, the work of law enforcement or the military is godly work. They're ministers of the gospel, whether or not they're Christians or not. That doesn't mean they're perfect, just like there's no pastors that are perfect. There's no businessmen that are perfect, husbands that are perfect. So, so we have law enforcement, and, and the Bible says that uh, mankind has a problem with the sin nature, which causes people to do bad things. We're, we all have a sin nature. But then we have laws to keep us kind of in the, in the right lane, like don't beat up people. Don't mess with your neighbor's stuff or the neighbor's wife or husband. Uh, don't lie about your neighbor. Uh, on and on and on. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. You can read all about it. And uh, so you can sort it out. We started out with 10, 10 uh, principles or laws. Now we have hundreds of thousands. They do about 1,000 a year in here in California. So, But what we've had, we have what now in America, lawlessness. And so we have pe- people, freely, free, people freely shooting law enforcement agents. And now they're attacking ICE people. It really started with ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It really started ICE under Eric Holder and Barack Obama when they set up the fast and furious illegal delivery of arms into Mexico. They wanted to create a problem where they could stop the sales of arms and restrict the Second Amendment. So they created a crisis. And Brian Terry uh, there was a number of people got killed, but Brian Terry, uh, a, a border patrol guy that wasn't even allowed to carry an actual gun. He, he had a beanbag unit. Uh, he was murdered with one of these guns. And uh, so there's been an assault on border patrol agents for some time. We now have the Mexican military that are crossing the border uh, taunting uh, people and you wonder who is funding this attack where Antifa and people now are shooting at ICE headquarters in various cities and threatening them. Uh, so I just saw on the internet, all I didn't read the article, it's, th- it's saying that an ICE employee uh, ran over or, or ran his car outside of an ICE uh, facility towards some protesters. I thought. I've been waiting for that to happen because there's been protests going on at our local ICE facility here at the Yuba County Jail, and it's and it's concerning to the employees. Why? Because a lot of them are uh, guys who are fathers, who are brothers, who are sons, and uh, they have responsibilities. Some of them have three, four, or five kids. There are women there that have babies that are working in that ICE facility. And they're concerned for their safety, right? When they hear there's going to be 100, 200, 300 people. The other day they said, oh, they told me, the one of the workers said, there are going to be 400 people protesting out here. Turned out there wasn't. There were just a handful. But they're protesting the Trump administration. But when, when the employees leave to go home, they don't go out with armed guards. They just walk out trusting it's going to be safe out there. So there's been these attacks, uh, Around the United States, San Antonio, Tacoma, Washington, armed attacks. And uh, so what's, who's funding this? So, uh, so the New York Times op-ed page 
made a call to target ICE and Border Patrol agents and their families. That's the New York Times. They say, go for it. Attack agents and their families. WikiLeaks, called I, a thing called ICE Patrol, gave out personnel information, a location database information, targeting more than 9,000 ICE employees, uh, including research assistants, interns, electricians, IT analysts, field intelligence officers, translators, anti-terrorism experts, and detention and deportation agents. So they put that out there so people could target their homes. Twitter published a hate speech by Antifa uh, and a group called Abolish ICE. And uh, they're, they're promoting on Twitter, right? So who's funding it? Well, you might have guessed billionaire George Soros Open Society Foundation is funding some of it. His son, Alex, Alex Soros, Jewish uh, social justice nonprofit, Ben the Ark, is funding some of it. Soros-backed Credo Action, C-R-E-D-O Action, is funding some of it. Soros-funded Center for Popular Democracy is giving money towards attacking ICE and helping immigrants cross the border. United We Dream, is one make the road new york is another they've all stoked hate hatred and subsidized the attacking of ice personnel and border patrol personnel listen these are men and women who run campfire operations run boy scouts run run uh camping operations coach school coach uh sports are there's center central salt of the earth type people of our community. Now you're going to go kill them. The media is stoking the hatred. This article by Michelle Malkin says even more shocking is how much of the toxic propaganda undermining the men and women on our homes, homeland security front lines is being underwritten by unsuspecting taxpayers and churchgoers and consumers. Did you know if you're a churchgoer, you may be underwriting the destruction of our country. You think, how has that happened? It's happening if you're a Lutheran or you're a Catholic and you're tithing to your church. That money is going to undermine ICE and Border Patrol. I know many ICE agents and Border Patrol, and not so many Border Patrol, but transport people and people that are helping uh, immigrants that are locked down. They're helping them connect with their family members, with their attorneys. They're all workers for ICE. And these people are trying to intimidate them, shoot them, and harass their families. Michelle Malkin says, in the coming weeks, I'll be exposing the global financiers and government programs promoting the campaign to melt ice, turn the Border Patrol into the Diaper Patrol, open the floodgates to every less last unvetted Muslim refugees and unassimilated low-wage Central American labor and erase the America my legal immigrant parents taught me to cherish. Michelle Malkin happens to be a Filipino and immigrated here with her parents many years ago legally. So Michelle Malkin, who is a great writer, a great speaker, has a, her seventh book coming out called Open Borders, Inc. The subtitle is Who's Funding America's Destruction? It's going to come out on September 10th, 2019. 
500 pages and 12 appendices and maps tracing tens of billions of dollars spent or received by 400 plus nonprofits, religious charities, legal organizations, political lobbying groups, businesses, and government contractors, backed up by 1,600 plus footnotes to educate my fellow citizens. Listen, this woman speaks the truth, and you be, may be in a congregation that's doing something that you think is really good, you, your heart goes out to these people, but it's undermining our very country's foundation. Hold that thought. It's happening. You're being a part of it. So border, she, Michelle Malkin, uh, her concluding comment is border security and restored sovereignty start with defunding the funders of America's destruction. Like I talked to an attorney here a while back. He was defending or uh, representing a lady from Mexico. And um, I said, hey, will you take on this other uh, client, uh, another inmate, because she doesn't have an attorney. She's from Brazil and Portugal. And he said, you know, Lou, I, she, and she got in trouble down in San Diego just crossing the border to get her tooth fixed and came back and she didn't have the right visa. She got in trouble with ice. I said, she needs an attorney. She really didn't commit a crime. She just didn't know what she was doing crossing the border. And he said, Lou, I'd love to take the case, but I, he said, I'm funded by Catholic charities and I cannot represent anybody that doesn't live in Alameda County. Well, Alameda County is where Oakland is, right? And this lady was in San Diego County. So he said, I'd really love to help her. So these, so I've met, uh, I've met uh, attorneys, immigration attorneys. That's all they do. They're aces at getting people free, staying in the U.S. And uh, they're funded by, some are funded by Catholic charities. Some are funded by Lutheran charities. And these, these big denominations are getting hundreds of millions of dollars from our tax dollars. That ain't right. That is not right. So um, I was just talking to somebody. Trying to think what to do. I got about five minutes, and I wanted to use this wisely. John Stossel, you know John Stossel? I love John Stossel. He used to be on television a lot. Now he's on YouTube a lot, and he's writing some and kind of semi-retired. He's had some health issues. I think he had open-heart surgery, but I think he's doing good now. Or maybe he had lung cancer, and he's doing good now. But he talks about, uh, he's always talking about freedom and free enterprise and getting the government out of stuff. So he's talking about an article called Sell an Organ. So I've, I've got some friends right now that, that need organs. In fact, two of them, two of them need kidneys really bad. One local here and one uh, who who is a son of, of my coworker, a grown, grown man. And they need, or, they need kidneys really bad. And I'm tempted to tell them to go to China and get one right away. But, but then that's going to kill a person because in China, they kill a person to take a kidney, to give to sell a kidney. And they, the where they get the people is that they're political prisoners, but I don't want to kill a prisoner to get a kidney, but they could get one immediately. Isn't that, isn't that odd? So John Stossel in this article, you can read it for yourself called cell and organ he's advocating that that americans should have the right to sell their organs so if you wanted to part with a kidney you could actually sell it to somebody 
And uh, so he said more than 100,000 Americans are on a waiting list for kidneys. Taking care of them is so expensive. Taking care of a a person that's got kidney problems, so expensive. It consumes about 3% of the federal budget. Can you imagine that? All this kidney dialysis. So there's been this debate, is it immoral to sell parts of your body? Well, we sell blood. We sell plasma. I, I, was don't, I used to donate blood. I didn't sell it. But then they said, I, we don't like your blood. You got bad blood. So I quit. I said, well, keep your blood then. So you can sell your blood. You can sell plasma. You can spe- sell your sperm. Did you know that? You can sell your eggs. You can sell your bone marrow. Why not a kidney? In fact, it, at one time, it was illegal to be a surrogate parent. Did you know that? Now, women who are healthy and can have a child are willing to take the egg, fertilized egg, of another couple and carry it in her womb and and let that child come to come to pass come to being and then birth the child and give it back to the family because the other lady for some reason can't carry the child so the surrogate parent uh gets paid 10 or 20,000 dollars for the inconvenience if you want to say it that way of carrying of 9 months worth of work right and, and a climax at the finish where it's really painful, right? Uh, uh, and, and there's women that have done surrogate, uh, be a surrogate parent numbers of times because it's something that they, they like being pregnant they, and it's, they're willing to help somebody else out, right? So he's saying that people ought to have the freedom to sell their kidney and that would solve the kidney back list huge list of backlog of people waiting for certain types of organs so you know you may not going to give a lung because then that would kill you but a kidney given a single kidney would not kill you now my friend uh my one friend the son of my co-worker he has a brother that they're now examining whether he could give one of his kidneys to the other brother if the dna is close enough and make a go of it so Stossel says on his driver's license, he says, if I die, I'm going to do, I'm willing to donate my my body. Right. Because he didn't have any need of it anymore. So he's saying that, that there's one guy that that uh, has been. Arguing this guy named Lloyd Cohen, he's an attorney who's been arguing for organ uh, against the ban on organ selling for years. And now this guy turns out in his, whatever age he is. Now he needs a kidney. Uh so what what uh, basically what they're saying is at least with kidneys, it would eliminate the backlog. And there's a lot of people with kidney problems. I got people in our church that have kidney problems. So there's financial incentives for everything, right? Uh, they work for food. They work for housing. They work for clothing. And uh, so the opposition argument is it's immoral or that the weak or poor will be exploited. Well, Again, it's treating the poor as if they're ignorant and stupid and they don't have better sense, right? Uh, so it's something to think about, right? Uh, there's 102,000, almost 103,000 people waiting for kidneys. It's interesting. Most will die waiting. So uh, I, was, my, my, I have a grandson who was born 
well, soon after he was born, he got cancer on one of his kidneys. They had to remove one of his kidneys. So he's been operating from the get-go with one kidney, whether at some point in his life they'll ever get a, maybe he will need it. He's got one healthy kidney, right? Maybe sometime they'll give him an additional kidney to boost his uh, ability to to process, right? Well, all right, we're going we're gonna to call it a day here, and thank you for listening. Again, you can reach me at uh, 530-713-1838. If you'd like to show you want to contribute to it, you can send a check or however you want to do it. You want to be, you want me to do some promoting for you, I can do that. Uh, I'm not desperate, so don't worry about me. If you want to, you want to get involved, you want to support good things. I support a lot of good causes, uh, different organizations, Howard Jarvis Institute, Cato Institute, Hillsdale College. There's a lot of places I like to support because they're doing right things. Uh, these constitution places that are teaching the constitution, they need support. So uh, you can reach me at uh, Lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com. Or you could call me or text me at 530-713-1838. So you can go on, uh, you can... Obviously, you figured out a way to find us, but if you found us on just a podcast source, that's one way. You can go and pick up these articles I write if you're interested at nohostagesradio.com. Hey, this week, if you meet somebody, they're a stranger, the Bible says, that gives you a little tip, uh, pay attention, treat them kindly, uh, give them some time, listen to them, and uh, they may be an angel and you don't know it, right? It's just a thought. So angels can visit earth, and they've done it many times before. You read the New Testament, it's loaded with angels stopping in, talking to people, and encouraging them, telling them what's going to happen next. So you may, I have some people in my life, I call them angels. They, they like keep me on task. I think, I think you're really an angel. So uh, do something kind to people out there this week, and uh, do well. And we'll be back next week, Lord willing. See you later. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter